3: Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I don't know how many times I've told those boys, never
4: call chicks broads.
3: Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Previously on Mackey and Judd.
0: All right, welcome back to 1500 ESPN's Mock Draft 2014. Here now we're at the number eight pick, Minnesota Vikings
2: on the clock, representative the Vikings, Judd Zolgad. All right, guys, this is very easy. I'm trading back one pick. The Vikings are moving back to the ninth pick. I just Wait, made a you trade with Cleveland. No, no,
1: no, no, it's a mock draft. There's no, you're trading with Cleveland?
2: Phil, I got some serious steam here. Just let me make the pick at nine. You make your pick first. Come uh, on, let's go.
1: Okay, I guess uh, the Cleveland Browns take cornerback uh, Justin Gilbert. All right. Here's ahead. the deal.
2: Minnesota Vikings select ninth, linebacker UCLA, Anthony Barr. That's my steam man. I talked to my friend what? Bobby about this. That hey, doesn't
1: make any hey, sense.
2: have some faith here. They're taking Anthony Barr. That doesn't make it. That makes no sense. Anthony Barr's like a second wrong guy. You don't think I know what I'm talking about? The Vikings are taking Anthony Barr. He's going to rush the passer. Let's roll. the ninth
5: pick in the 2014 NFL Draft. The Minnesota Vikings select. Anthony Barr, linebacker, UCLA. With the 32nd pick in the 2014 NFL Draft, the Minnesota Vikings select Teddy Bridgewater, quarterback, Louisville.
1: In kind of a roundabout way, to steal a line from our buddy Chris Long from Channel 5, Mm -hmm. the Vikings did tank for Teddy. They did brick for Bridgewater. It just... Took like 31 more picks than people thought six months ago to land Teddy Bridgewater. So you got your quarterback now. They got
2: their quarterback. Here we go again, right? Boy, what a mix! Here of, we go again. Yeah,
1: what a mix of reactions and emotions last night. You and I were anchoring the coverage in here for four or five hours, and so um, you know we broke in a few times and were all in on social media and in the hangout last night. And it went from, I think Vikings fans largely were perplexed. When they traded down to nine and then couldn't trade back any further and picked a guy that, on most of the mock drafts, the Mel Kiper, Mike Mayock, Todd McShays, that could have been available maybe in the 20s. But Mm -hmm. I'll just, I mean, right off the bat, I'll just say I don't know to what degree these players are or aren't going to pan out, but I like the draft strategy. Go address a defensive need early. And go get a quarterback later on that you didn't feel like
2: was worthy of a top-ten pick. And that's how everyone felt about Manziel, too, by the way. I want to talk about the quarterback because that that's obviously last night the sexy pick, Phil. But here's my first question. I'd love to get some calls on this. If you're a Viking fan and you were upset last night, and certainly via Twitter, as my Twitter feed was rolling throughout the night, there were a lot of very upset people. My question to you is very, very simple. Were you upset the Vikings took Anthony Barr because you know enough about him and how Rahi is not to like him? were you upset because they didn't take Manziel? That's my question. Because I sensed there was this, oh, Manziel's there, you got to take him. It's such an attractive pick. And 651-646-8255, 651-646-8255. But I want you to be honest with yourself, because I don't know any of us know enough about Anthony Barr to actually no. make a judgment of this pick. So were you upset about the pick itself? If Johnny Manziel hadn't been there, let's say there's no Johnny Manziel, Let's say we don't even like the quarterback class, and the Vikings have the eighth pick. They trade back one to the ninth pick, and they take Anthony Barr. Would you have been upset about it, or was your anger driven by the fact that Manziel remained on the board? And by the way, the key thing here with Manziel, too, is the media, the fans we can all talk to were blue in the face about this guy and how much fun it would be to cover him, which it would be, but when you drop to the 22nd pick clearly the observations of national football league executives are far different and they know far more than we do one would hope yes. than than the observation of the fans. Yeah, think about what happened with him last night. So the Vikings were sitting there at number 9 overall.
1: There's already a quarterback off the board. And so there's already, you can make a case, all right, there's a run on quarterbacks here. Look at the full lines blowing up now. 65 six, six, five, five. We'll get to your calls in just a second. But nobody thought to even nobody thought high enough of Johnny Manziel to give the Vikings anything of substance to trade back from nine. And you know they were working the phones to try and trade back from nine into the teens somewhere. Uh, Spielman did say yesterday that he he didn't want the Anthony Barr pick to get away. In fact, let's we're going to hear from Spielman live here at 11 o'clock, but let's uh, play a couple bites here. and This is actually uh, Spielman on Anthony Barr last night at the press conference.
6: Going through our mocks and our scenarios and all the intel and stuff, felt that if we did not take him here, that he was not going to last very long because he... Uh, after Clowney, we felt, had the potential to be the next best edge pass rusher
1: uh, in the draft. And so the fact is, it's, it's really hard to have a supercharged opinion, either positively or negatively, on any of these picks, unless you're watching hours of film, you're in a meeting room face-to-face with these guys. I mean, would it have been really fun to watch Johnny Manziel play here for the next few years? Absolutely. It would have been fun for us. Would it have really? Well, it would have been fun for fans, too, at least for a right, couple no, years. but I'm saying media and fans. Yeah,
2: but, but if, my point, but if my you point make is, a pick for marketing reasons, your team winds up being crappy after two years, and then you're drafting eighth again or third again in a couple years. Well, here's what you know the Vikings did. You know the Vikings traded from eight to nine. And by trading from eight to nine, I think they thought they were also buying themselves time to talk to more teams. You know that they went, Rick Spielman called Dallas and said, You want Manziel? Come get him. Come get him at nine because Anthony Barr was projected, I think, by most people as he was a first round pick. But so those are by, all me- those are by media mock but, draft pundits. And that might not mean anything. Anthony Barr was thought to be a guy who would go from about 10 to 20. So he went ninth. It's not the end of the world. But you know that Spielman made calls to teams like Dallas and said, if you want Manziel, come get him. And nobody said yes. There yeah. was nobody. Even Dallas. Jerry Jones is crazy. Jerry Jones is, if you want to find a football fan who runs a team, it's Jerry Jones. And even Jerry Jones people convinced him, hey, this kid's not worth taking at number 9. And and here's
1: two things I feel really strongly about. Who are we to say that Anthony Barr was a bad pick? Like, if you sit on your couch, and this is no offense because we're doing the same thing. If you're sitting on your couch watching the draft, and you're just going off of Mel Kuyper and Mike Mayock and Todd McShay's mock drafts, that's not enough to say definitively, Anthony Barr was a terrible pick. They could have got him at 18. Well, have you seen what the Houston Texans draft board looked like? Have you seen what the Cleveland uh, Browns draft board looked like? We don't know what the, the actual draft boards of these war rooms look like. So it's, it's possible the Vikings had a read on five different teams in the teens
2: that really had Anthony Barr high up on their draft boards. Like, we're, we're never going to know. Here's what, uh, here's what should excite you. If you're a Viking fan, I'm going to give you a reason for optimism about the Anthony Barr pick. Mike Zimmer, according to Mike Zimmer and everybody else, he's never had a player like this. Well, the first inclination, then, is to say, why now? Mike Zimmer was defensive coordinator and very successful for the Cincinnati Bengals. But who was his head coach in Cincinnati? Yeah. Marvin Lewis, a former defensive coordinator. Mike Zimmer could not go completely rogue. Norv Turner will run the Vikings offense. Mike Zimmer will consult with Norv Turner. He'll ask questions. But Norv Turner, I think, essentially is going to tell him, Mike, here's what we're going to do. In Cincinnati, Mike Zimmer, a very good defensive coordinator, worked for another former defensive coordinator. There are going to be limits on what Marvin Lewis would allow Mike Zimmer to do. What the Vikings got in Anthony Barr is the potential, and we'll see how they use him. But it's the potential to introduce a wrinkle to a defense that Mike Zimmer's never shown before. If I'm a Viking fan, I love that.
1: We need to talk much more about Teddy Bridgewater, and I also have a theory as to why the Vikings might be doing something the Wolves did a few years ago and the Wolves regret, and we can get to that later. Let's go to the phone lines. So oh, George, you're on Mackey and Judd. Good morning, George. George, what's up, man? Really? No, George, you sound it like off, a, yeah. it. Turn
7: off the speaker phone, There I'm you sorry. go.
1: What do you got, George? Yeah.
7: It's all about excitement and uh, gambling. Spielman gambled and lost with Ponder. He gambled last night by not taking Manziel because of his potential and. We will not know for two years how that gamble turned out. I'm saying he's gonna lose.
1: But here here's the thing. When you use the word gamble, you're saying you're basically saying that every other team in the top twenty, even the quarterback starved teams like Cleveland the first time around. Now Cleveland wound up with him at twenty two, but Cleveland passed on him in the top five. They passed on him again in the top ten when they traded back. Jacksonville passed on him in favor of Blake Bortles. Jacksonville is one of the most quarterback-starved teams in the history of the NFL. And they said, Blake Bortles is the best quarterback in this draft, not Johnny Manziel. And so when we toss around the word potential, couldn't you apply all these same arguments to Teddy Bridgewater? I mean, Teddy Bridgewater was number one overall on a lot of mock draft boards six months ago. And so I think it's just we're so caught up in this Johnny Manziel mania. Might he become an amazing player? It's very possible. And the Vikings thought enough of him to at least try to trade back in, according to Jay Glazer, at 22. But it's pretty obvious to me every single team that needed a quarterback said the same thing about Johnny Manziel. There's enough red flags here to where we don't feel like he's Andrew Luck or RG3. We don't feel like he's a top-10 caliber pick. But you know what? We're okay with those red flags if, if we grab who we want first, defensive player, whoever it may be
2: and take a flyer on him late in the first round. But this round. draft worked Everyone felt the same but way. But this draft worked out pretty much like we thought it would. We just now I wanted the Vikings to take a cornerback, but they had to take defense, which yeah. they did with their first pick. They could have taken at, Justin Gilbert. And then at they traded which I wouldn't have minded, but then they trade back in to the late first round to get their quarterback, hence they get the fifth-year option on that quarterback, which is good for well, them. Well, a good call by Tom Pelissier yesterday. Well, he's Predicted exactly the right. exact scenario. But, yeah. But to George's point, here's the thing. When they took Ponder in 2011, That's a gamble, but that's one gamble where if you lose, you're dead. If Ponder busted, which he did, they're dead. This was a two-part gamble. You pass on Manziel, but you still take a quarterback. So I think this is a much safer gamble because this is saying Johnny Manziel wasn't worth a top, let's say, 20 pick, which is probably right. Bridgewater, who was going to be the first overall pick last fall with a lot of people, is now their pick. So I think this gamble, while this is a gamble— Because draft picks are always a gamble. This is a safer gamble than it was if you just take Manziel at nine. If he busts, you're done. They hedge their bet is what they yes.
1: They hedge their bet. Uh, Jerry, you're on Mackie and Joe. What's up, man? Good
7: morning, guys. Um, I'm fine with the Anthony Barr pick. Uh, You look at Mike Zimmer and his track record, uh, especially you look at Bonte's perfect and what he's done the past couple of years for Cincinnati Last year, he led the league in tackles, and he was undrafted,
8: and he was a major league project.
7: Like you see Anthony Barr is an awful lot of talent, and if he gets the right coaching, which you hope Zimmer and the uh, defensive coaches can provide, uh, I'm fine with the pick. And Bridgewater, I, I wouldn't have minded. Garoppolo, uh, I would have stayed a long ways away from Bettenberg. Yep. Uh, I... I can't
1: complain one bit. Yeah, and thanks for the call, Jerry. I'll I'll bring up one obvious comparison here. And again, this is not to say that Johnny Manziel's for sure going to be a bust. It's not to say that Anthony Barr is for sure going to be unbelievable, or it's not to say anything about Teddy Bridgewater. Because right now, we just we can, we only know so much until we see these guys. The 2006 NFL Draft. Remember what happened at the top of the 2006 NFL Draft? I do not. You had the Houston Texans picking number one, and if I recall right, the New Orleans Saints were picking number two. Mm-hmm. everybody was on Reggie Bush going into that draft, especially for a Houston team that lacked offense. They didn't have a quarterback at the time. Uh, they just they needed offensive punch. And they decided, we're going to go with Mario Williams and blow everyone's minds. And they got destroyed for passing on Reggie Bush, number one overall, and drafted Mario Williams. His second year, he had 14 sacks, 12 sacks in his third year. It was one of the best pass-rushing defensive ends in the NFL. And then... Kind of dropped off the planet a little bit at the end of his career in Houston. Not career, end of his tenure in Houston because he was injured. But it's, I'm not saying Anthony Barr is going to be Mario Williams, but you can't, just because you haven't heard of Anthony Barr as much as you've heard of Johnny Manziel and because you haven't watched him as much, that's not enough of a
2: reason to be apoplectic about this pick today. And my point is this I think that people, I think this goes far more to the passing on Manziel than it does taking Barr. As I said, remove Manziel from this draft. Just, Say you got a quarterback class with no dynamic, because Manziel is seen as a dynamic quarterback. Let's yeah. say you have no dynamic QB, and you take Anthony Barr. I think you might have some people saying, why didn't they take a cornerback? Which I think is a very fair question, but I think what we saw yesterday, which was people melting down, doesn't happen.
1: Also remember, Judd, uh, and now it didn't work out because they drafted Troy Williamson, but didn't the Vikings pass, quote-unquote, on Mike Williams in 2005? Yes. And everyone was irate, because, well, you see Mike Williams on national TV because he plays for USC.
2: Well, ones well, of the boat, both those guys were bust. Second round, was it second round in 2007 or 8? Dwayne Jarrett, USC wide receiver, yeah, that one's still to, on the board. Sidney Rice. And they take Sidney Rice, and we all said, who the bleep is Sidney Rice? Why did you just pass on Dwayne Jarrett? And it it turned out to be the right pick. Uh, Tony, good morning. You're on Mackie and Judd. Good
7: morning, gentlemen. I think uh, I, I think it's not unreasonable to feel like Vikings fans did when they selected Barr, though, because... You're taking a gamble on a guy that's a speed and size guy without a position in a 4-3. Ultimately, it ends up on Zimmer, and I think we have a lot of faith in Zimmer, and this pick will be Zimmer's guy, so you have to find a way to make use of him. But when you need a middle linebacker, when you need safety, when you need cornerback, even even if we don't get Manziel to pass on the top guys at those positions for a guy that you are – trying to tell us that you can make him into a dynamic player, even though he hasn't shown that, Mm -hmm. I I think that's where it's not unreasonable to have that reaction.
2: Let's do this. I think that reaction, I think the reaction of fans to how Anthony Barr fits in this defense is very fair, but I think it's very fair to a defense that we saw, not one we're going to see. Let's talk about that next. And more
1: of your reaction to 651-646-8255. This is Mackey and Judge.
3: We are ready to go. On 1500 go.
2: ESPN. All right, so here's my point before we get back to the phone calls, Phil Mackey, about the Vikings defense and how Anthony Barr fits it. I don't blame people because I'm in the same camp here, but I think when the Vikings make a pick like Barr last night, we think, okay, how does this guy fit in the defense as we know it? Well, the Leslie Frazier, Tampa 2, and all those principles are gone. So if you want to try and project how Anthony Barr is going to look in this defense, you can't do it until you actually see regular season game number one. Yeah. Because in the preseason, the Vikings will run, Mike Zimmer will run as vanilla of defense as possible. You won't see anything from that defense that's going to tip anybody off. And we already were talking last night about Anthony Barr a strong side linebacker, and that's Greenway spot. No, no, here's the deal. In the Tampa 2, the Tampa 2 defense, the strong side linebacker actually is the weak side linebacker in this defense. Chad Greenway still going to be on the field playing linebacker. He's going to be considered the weak side linebacker. And the other thing with Barr is Barr is going to, there's a perception still that your defensive ends are going to get lots of sacks. That doesn't happen ordinarily in this defense. Everson Griffin, if this all works out correct, is not going to get nearly as many sacks as you anticipate. You know who is going to get those if things work out? Anthony Barr. Yeah. So it's not—it's nobody's fault because we've seen the Tampa two since 2006. But if you take the Vikings defense as we know it and project Anthony Barr into it, he's not a good fit. That would be a bad draft pick. Mike Zimmer made a draft pick based solely on the fact that he is bringing his own defensive principles, which will be which will be very different than the Tampa two. So let's not get too excited and say. How is this guy a fit in a defense that we're not going to understand until next September? And let's not. I I feel like the reaction here from a lot of people is, why they
1: passed on a franchise quarterback to take sort of a a raw, unproven linebacker that they may have reached for at number nine, as if they didn't draft a quarterback in the first round. They drafted a quarterback in the first round. And is there really? Let's go back to any stage of six months ago when the college season was ending, or three months ago, combine, whatever, whatever stage you want to go at to where the draft boards were evolving and, and players are moving up and down. Haven't Bridgewater and Manziel always kind of been together, right? They were both maybe projected to – Bridgewater was projected to go higher than Manziel six yeah, months ago. Yeah, I was going to say, Bridgewater was above yeah. Manziel. And then as the combine played out and the workouts played out, both kind of slid down. And I, I feel like Johnny Mania and teams trying to create buzz, every team in the top ten at one point or another, it seemed like was linked to Johnny Manziel. That's all smokescreen BS, and those teams wanted everyone to think that they were going to take Johnny Manziel. And as it turns out, the only people who thought Johnny Manziel was worthy of a top-ten pick and worthy of being handed this quarterback-of-the-future baton were fans and media. Fans and media were the only people that thought Johnny Manziel was worthy of a franchise-changing top-ten pick. You have quarterback-starved teams, teams that haven't had a drink of water in six months, the Cleveland Browns, the Jacksonville Jaguars, hell, the Tennessee Titans, I'll put them in that group too. They picked 11th overall. And they're walking through the desert, and they come across a bottle of Aquafina, and they look at it and they say, you know what? What, did he? We're good. I'm going to wait for that bottle of Evian instead. That's what happened last night. So I think we need to get over this whole thing. Well, also, maybe, maybe they made a huge mistake,
2: but every team but made a huge mistake. Here's, then. here's the reality of that first round. there was no. Sure, franchise quarterback in it. Teddy Bridgewater is not. Johnny Manziel is not. Blake Bortles. God help the Jacksonville Jaguars if they were Jaguars wrong. Jaguars fans are so depressed today. Blake Bortles is not a surefire both, franchise quarterback. If you, if you want, if you want me to take a quarterback in the top ten at this point in time, knowing what we know about quarterbacks, uncertainty, all that. If you want me to do that, you've got to come through with a lot more than this quarterback class did. Andrew Luck was a surefire franchise quarterback. It's why I'll always go back, and I know people hate to hear this, but it's why I'll always go back to why 2011 going 3-13 and 13 was so bad you wanted to win one or two games. Yeah. That was a franchise quarterback. Robert Griffin III, as good as he is, as dynamic as he can be, is a scary proposition because he can't stay healthy. So if you want me to invest a top 5 or top 10 pick in a quarterback and his name's not Andrew Luck and I have to roll the dice, then I'm probably bailing back. I'm not taking that chance. Hi Don.
9: Hey guys. Hey Don. Several points. One mm-hmm. uh, about Anthony Barr. We don't know, but I'll I'll come to this. Let's go back to the 2012 draft, where the Seattle Seahawks drafted Bruce Urban and Bobby Wagner in the first two picks, and people trashed them for it. They're like they said they reached on them, and but again, we didn't know what Seattle's defense was going to become. Those two became very predominant players for them. So and that's something I have to look at there. So Barr, I, I'm sure Zimmer has a scheme and an idea of what they want to do with Barr. Two, if the Vikings really wanted Johnny Manziel, they would have selected him at nine. They just didn't see him that highly there. And you can't pass on somebody like Bridgewater. Bridgewater is something what Ponder never could do, go through progression. And he does it without panicking. He, in, in, he, you know, when you have the highest completion percentage, of any quarterback that's in the in college, you, you gotta like your chances with with Bridgewater. So I and, and I think in, in you know I, I think the Vikings did a great job last
1: night. Thank you for the phone call, Don. Uh, b- back to his point about Anthony Barr, I saw some prominent LA media members, John Ireland from ESPN seven hundred and ten in LA, doesn't cover UCLA football, but uh, him and a couple other UCLA or LA based media members just raving about this pick, saying you guys. You're going to love this guy, Anthony Barr. Yeah, he's kind of raw, but he's an unbelievable player, and you're going to love watching him. Hey, Howard.
10: Good morning, gentlemen. The number one hole for two years has been linebacker. Obviously, they took Barr, but the next outside linebacker went 15 when Tennessee and the Bears needed one, and the one after that went 26. If you weren't going to address a linebacker when you only have one NFL linebacker on your roster that's over 30,
2: you had got a problem. He's right. He's right. And the two positions that I said that I thought they should address with their highest pick last night was cornerback and or linebacker. Now, I could see, and that's my point about this. If you want to be upset that they didn't draft a third corner, then that makes more sense to me. The outrage about Manziel makes zero sense. If you want to say, you know... You can never have enough corners in this league. You're going to play three all the time because the reality of what you need is this. You need three cornerbacks who are starting caliber corners and two starting caliber linebackers. Look at how much you're in nickel. That third linebacker comes off the field all the time. So if the discussion point wants to be, hey, I think they should have taken a cornerback and not a linebacker, Mm -hmm. I'll have that discussion. But if the outrage is, oh, they didn't take Manziel, well, to me that's lazy to a point and and put yourself back in
1: november back in november december january as a vikings fan if somebody would have told you all right the vikings at eight overall or as it turns out ninth overall we're going to address a major need in linebacker and then later in the first round they're going to get teddy bridgewater oh you everybody would have said yes absolutely we would take that scenario so you're going to get a a better defensive player than you would have gotten later in the first round you're going to get what the Vikings perceive as a prime defensive player at a position of need, and then you also get
2: Teddy Bridgewater? So why has that perception changed in five months? And don't forget, part of our excitement about Manziel and part of our dismay about Bridgewater is solely generated on pro days. They're pro days. Bridgewater had the bad pro day. Manziel, I don't know he had a good pro day so much as a dynamic pro day, and we all got excited. Tom, you're on Mackey and
1: Jug. Good morning.
8: Uh, hey, Bart. Uh, hey, Phil. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, man. Uh, Bar is. Uh, I'll right here.
2: Um, What's wrong?
8: This is this this is just like I haven't been this furious since we took ponder. Uh,
2: Deep
6: breath.
8: Bar is a raw prospect, and you don't take linebacker prospects at nine overall. You just don't. And um, you guys are just talking about uh, Bridgewater and his pro day. Bridgewater bombed his pro day. Look, I, I don't put much stock into how great players look on their pro day, but if you bomb it, that's that's a huge red flag. And there's a reason he fell all the way to thirty second. This is this is a flickrick Rick panic move right here. It, it, it is beyond infuriating. Yeah, it, it's,
2: I hope it's he's not near time, any man, high like, buildings. Yeah, dude, if you if get there's... on the ground floor, maybe get underneath a desk or something right now, like a tornado warning, and just. Gather yourself. I'm worried about him. Yeah, man, if there's steak knives within reach, man, just take a deep breath. So Take a step back. So we don't put much stock in Bridgewater's pro day, but we're that's a red flag that he didn't do well there? There's red flags about Bridgewater. I, I cannot get very excited about one bad day, and I'm not defending the pick. I'm just saying I'm not surprised they came back into the late first round to get a quarterback, and I don't know. I'm not going to complain that much about Teddy Bridgewater.
1: And, and we're using the word prospect with Anthony Barr as outsiders looking in. The Vikings might use the word prospect, but just because a guy's a prospect doesn't mean he's not going to be an amazing player at some point. Uh, Brandon, what's up, man?
8: Hey, guys. How you doing? I I, uh, love the show. Yeah, I was the guy who uh, tweeted you and said you're a ton better than the idiot on K-Fan. Oh, well. I can't listen to that guy. I don't know what's wrong with this world.
1: Well, we appreciate Um, you listening, my friend.
8: I I got to say, I'm I'm calling in from uh, what can be viewed as a – Bias standpoint, um, being a Packer fan in Viking country, I'm force-fed the information on the Vikings because I love listening to sports talk radio. So I've become kind of neutral and let it play out in my mindset. I mean, I don't necessarily hate the Vikings. I can't stand the Bears, though. So. Um, but what I'm wondering here, though, is what you guys really think about this is that not that they'd really stretch for a linebacker at nine, but I thought that they needed to take the most polished NFL-ready linebacker if that was the direction they were going to go. And if they were going to go that way, I felt that player was D.J. Mosley. And then as for, as for Bridgewater, I think the only knock on him from my perspective is that if you play in a conference like the Big East, your numbers are going to be buoyed by the lack of competition in conference. So how do you dissect a quarterback like that? I mean, how did the Vikings come to the conclusion that this is our guy after yeah. everybody else needs to let him go by? And
1: that's very true. Appreciate the call. Yeah, it's uh, real quick. Blake Bortles played at Central Florida. And so it, it wasn't, if you look up and down his schedule too, it wasn't exactly the cream of the crop. Um, Derek Carr played at Fresno State. So
2: there's, you he get... made He made the exact point, though. This is why you don't take Teddy Bridgewater in the top 10, because you don't know exactly. This is why you get back into the late first round, get that fifth year option. He's a far safer pick at 32 than Manziel or Bridgewater would have been at eight or nine. And uh, as far as a polished player in bar, a player like that, once again, keep in mind, we're not putting him at strong side linebacker in Les Frazier's defense. So let's wait and see what the Vikings do with him. If they get creative with this kid, he could, if nothing else next year, even if he's not a three down player, he could be a matchup nightmare. And in the Tampa 2, that wasn't going to happen. Kevin Seifert, what did he think of the draft? The Vikings picks, we'll find out next. Ready for another chance
3: to earn points and score some amazing prizes? Your 1,500 ESPN rewards. Listen and win code is revealed now.
0: Collect points, grand prizes, 1,500 ESPN awards, 1,500ESPN.com. 100 points on the line today. Just enter that code correctly, and you can get your uh, points towards a chance to see Paul McCartney's sold-out show at Target Field, August 2nd. Only 250 points. To enter for tickets to that, today's code word for 930 is Bridgewater. Bridgewater is the code word. Enter it correctly. Get rewarded for listening. It's 1500 ESPN Awards, 1500ESPN.com.
3: Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. My kind of team, Charlie. is my kind of team. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN.
6: Every time I have exposure to him, and when you watch the tape and with Zim and, and Coach Turner and uh, Scott Turner, he just seems to have that knack of uh, when he's in pressure situations in the game, being able to come through it. Vikings GM Rick Spielman last
2: night. Uh, Rick, by the way, will join us at 11 o'clock. Before we get to Seifert, uh, talking Phil, about Bridgewater, by the way. Yes. Before we get to uh, before we get to our buddy Kevin Seifert. Tom Roller, take care of yourself today. You're very upset by this pick. You called, you tweeted us. We understand you don't like the picks. Just at least allow it to play out. Kevin Seifert, ESPN.com, covers the entire National Football League, and uh, sir, let, we'll certainly get to what went on around the league last night with the 32 picks, but let's start with the Vikings. What was your assessment when Anthony Barr was taken at 9 overall? Were you as outraged as a, a lot of this fan base seemed to be?
11: Well, you know, it, it, I never th- I assume that the outrage was that they didn't take Manziel at number nine. Mm-hmm. And so it never really, it was never really to me an option that they were going to do that. You know, I know there's a lot of reports that they were trying to trade up for him at number 22, but when you looked at um, the history of, of, of Norv Turner and Mike Zimmer and, uh, and even Rick Spielman, there wasn't necessarily a whole lot of uh, wiggle room for the kind of style of quarterback that they wanted. And, um, if they were going to draft a quarterback, it seemed much more likely that they would end up with a guy who's who's more of a traditional pocket passer that had mobility, but more of a traditional pocket passer like a Bridgewater. So I wasn't even surprised, let alone outraged, that they didn't take Manziel. Um, you know, Barr, you almost want to give Mike Zimmer the benefit of the doubt. I mean, his his resume speaks for himself uh, in terms of being a guy who can take defensive players and, and get the most out of them and create really good defensive groups and so you want to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt that while some teams may not have viewed Anthony Barr as a top 10 uh, prospect that Zimmer has a very good idea of what he's going to be doing in his scheme and he knows the type of player who can succeed in it and that that this is the type of guy um, uh, that can do it now you can you can say if not many teams thought of him as a top 10 prospect should they try to trade down even further well maybe, but there was also speculation that the Lions were on him, too, and if that was the case, uh, there wasn't a whole lot more uh, room to go down, and so, in the end, I was not outraged. I think their defense was terrible last year. I think everybody knows that. They've made some strides in free agency there, but uh, they have still had a long way to go. It's been a while since they had a really dominant pass-rushing uh, linebacker. Um, you, know, you don't have that too often in 4-3, but the Vikings surely didn't necessarily try either, and so... Uh, that's, um, that's 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 going to be a new a new uh, thing for them, and, and I think they needed help at all levels. And, and there's nothing wrong with with doing that at number nine.
1: You know, Kevin, right now on SportsCenter, uh, Darren Ravel is breaking down the economic impact of Johnny Manziel on the Cleveland Browns. Let me ask you this: I, J- Judd and I have talked about this, and, and we both agree that you should not draft a player for marketing reasons. But is with Johnny Manziel and a, and a guy like Tim Tebow, for instance? Is there, If you're on the fence between a couple different players, is there any reason to lean toward a Manzel? because, well, you know, this will create a lot of buzz for us, or is that just a colossal mistake for teams to make?
11: I, I think it's a colossal mistake. You know, you're never going to have teams that necessarily admit that that's why they drafted uh, a player like that. I know South Palantonio had a really interesting anecdote about Jimmy Haslam uh, walking in the streets of Cleveland and having a homeless man tell him to draft on the set <laughs> is one of the That was the reason he... Um, uh you know at least that that was when he became convinced that that's what brown's fans want he didn't go so far as to say that's what made him make the decision or, or push that decision on his gm or anything but clearly um the city of cleveland is buzzing right now and where they would not have been with anybody else they might have t- taken they, you know people already forget they, they drafted somebody higher than Manziel. they had uh gilbert at uh, number not, at number eight in the vikings pick and nobody will ever remember that because this is the Manziel draft so certainly the browns who very much could use um you know a boost in buzz uh got that you know whether they intended to or not i guess we'll never get at the bottom of it i don't know that the vikings were in the same spot um you know, there, there it appears as though uh, ticket sales for the new stadium are going well uh, in the interim time in TCF. People are excited about the new the new coaching staff, I think, and, and about the moves that have been made. And this has always been a, a – Vikings have always had a stranglehold on this market, whether they were winning or not. So I don't know that they needed that kind of injection, um, but, you know, whether that it would have helped or not, I'm, I'm sure it would have helped, but I don't know that they were in the same position as Cleveland, and I certainly don't think that that should ever be a, a uh, <clears throat> excuse me, should ever be a a factor in making a draft decision. If you if that's part of your draft decision, then you're not going to be getting too far.
2: And don't you think, too, Kevin, that if the Vikings, let's say they trade back eight to nine, okay, and they take Manziel at nine, while the fan base today would be super excited and they'd be printing Manziel jerseys in purple and all that, don't you think? the league-wide, the people that know what they're talking about would be saying, what the heck did the Minnesota Vikings just do?
11: Yeah, yeah, and they would have, um, you know, certainly because as it played out, you know, and now obviously everybody had a uh, had a general sense of what, within the league, I think, had a general sense of what was going to happen because, uh, you know, certainly if the Browns thought that, that Manziel was going to be a guy that uh, would be in a top-ten type, there would be other teams trying to uh, draft him in the top ten, they would have taken him at four or even at nine, and so, uh, there was It seems like it was pretty well understood within the league that he was not going to be a, a top even a top twenty pick, so had the Vikings done that at at number eight, obviously that would have uh you know raised some questions there but you know I, I do think that if you really locked in on a quarterback and you really think this is the guy that 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 's going to take you somewhere let 's not worry about whether you take him at eight or nine or twenty or twenty two that's when you get too cute, and that's when you lose people. And I know there were, were reports that that the Vikings tried to trade up to get Manziel at 22. But to me, that tells me that can only tell me they weren't that convinced that he was much better than than Bridgewater or anyone else who might have been available. Because if you really were, are sold on this guy being your franchise quarterback, take him at eight, you know, and, and don't or nine, and don't worry about uh, whether you can get more value later. Don't be greedy at that position. So that told me that nope, that there wasn't a lot of. Um, consensus around the league, and certainly within the Vikings organization, this guy was, was uh, there was much separation between him and, and some of the other quarterback prospects.
1: Kevin, it's it's interesting, at least seemingly, how much input Rick Spielman got from North Turner on the decision to draft Teddy Bridgewater, and then how much input, if not outright uh, lobbying from Mike Zimmer on the decision to draft Anthony Barr. Do we know if he took that much input from assistant coaches and head coaches in the past? I know like, he hasn't had full authority until recently, so that might factor in.
11: I, I think so. I mean, when, when Childress was the coach, um, there was a little bit more uh, uh, dictating that could happen from the coaching staff into the draft process. But uh, and it, and it certainly is worth pointing out that that Spielman hired Zimmer and 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 obviously endorsed the Norv Turner um, hiring in a way that he did not with Leslie Frazier or any of the assistants that Leslie Frazier hired because he was not the general manager when that when those. Uh, uh, decisions were made and so uh, clearly he these he has the guys he wants in place but i think any good general manager would would tell you and, and would act upon the idea that if you're drafting guys based on your own assessment and you're not taking the input of coaches and you're not listening to how the coaches would use them or wouldn't use them or you don't have a great understanding of their schemes and and therefore matching the skills to the schemes then you're not really doing your job so yeah I, I, I think it's actually a plus to have to have the impression that the coaches had strong input into the into the um, decision as long as, the draft decisions as long as the the coaches themselves have good reputations and are credible and I think that's the case both with Zimmer and, and with North Turner
2: nine defensive backs go first round last night Kevin what does that say about the trend towards that within a pass happy league
11: yeah and not one of them went to the Vikings I know yep. you watched you know there was there was some. Um, all-time poor play from the the Vikings secondary last year. You know, injuries were a part of that, obviously, and they'll move on from that. And they've already signed Captain Munnerlin, and they'll have uh, Harrison Smith back, of course. But um, you know, it, it's pretty clear that that you know, if it wasn't clear where the passing uh, you know, the, the teams feel like they need to catch up on the pass defense, then, then it never will be clear. And and what's most interesting is how you know, half almost half of those were safeties, and so you rarely, it's not often that you see so many safeties taken in in, in the first round, and and that trend is related to the idea that, that receivers are getting so big, tight ends are getting so good at being receivers, that when you go to nickel, uh, not you know a lot of teams are not using a cornerback as their third defensive back to cover. They're using a third safety instead. And so it's almost as if you need to draft a safety to, to pair up with your starting safeties and to be your nickel if you want to match up against the big receivers and tight ends. And I know that was a thought process for several teams in free agency going after safeties and signing them to big deals and continue throughout the draft that, that people need bigger defensive backs you're not going to find too many big guys playing cornerback in college and so the next thing is to go find big safeties who you think can cover and use them as nickelback. Thank,
1: Thank you so Kevin appreciate you it man. Talk to mm-hmm. Kevin. Kevin Seifert ESPN.com NFL columnist uh, we're up against the, the clock here but we'll come back and talk more Vikings and we have to preview Wild Game 4 as well and Rick Spielman at 11 o'clock. <laughs> yourself folks you're
3: listening to Mackie and Jai on 1500 ESPN
1: All right we ran really late with those last couple segments but we will take more phone calls in the 10 o'clock hour if you have thoughts on anything we've talked about do you think it was a mistake passing on Johnny Manziel? Do you love the fact that the Vikings addressed a defensive need and wound up with Teddy Bridgewater late in the first round? six five
2: one six four six eight two five five? How soon do you want to see Bridgewater start, too? Are you willing to be patient for a season, or do you want to see him start at some point next season? I've got a thought on that, but I'm curious what the expectation for the 32nd overall pick in the first round is. When do you want to see Teddy Bridgewater be the starting quarterback for the Vikings? In fact, we should get to a little bit of that
1: coming up next year. Uh, Also, Rick Spielman, Vikings GM, will join us at 11 o'clock. We'll still talk to Jess Myers, our 1500ESPN.com hockey columnist, because, hey, there is a pretty big hockey game going on tonight in St. Paul that we don't want to ignore on this Vikings draft uh, review day. Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie,
3: Judd Zolgad. It is kind of funny, right? It's great comedy. Mackie and Judd on 1500ESPN. It's the Anthony
12: Brown one that really gets me. He just doesn't seem like that would be a Mike, you know, Mike Zimmer type of guy. Maybe I'm misjudging it, but based on what I saw, I saw a guy who just gave it up when he got physical and got hot and heavy against players that were very good players. I don't see an elite pass rusher. I don't know where they're going to play him. I don't know how he's going to adapt to playing back off the line of scrimmage and, re- and keying and reading from there. I think that's, you know, that's a high price to pay for a guy who has a lot of questions to me, both from a fit perspective and from a competitiveness perspective. Very we'll see. quickly,
7: how close is he to
0: Keith
12: Rivers, who they took for Mike Zimmer back a few years ago in Cincinnati? Well, Keith, different player, but right? Keith, but Keith Rivers, when he came out at SC, was used to playing from a stack alignment. And I never saw Anthony Barr play really from a stack alignment. The only and thing I, is- I don't I don't see the same type of instinct. So we'll we'll see we'll right. see how it all works. out. The only out. thing I saw Anthony Barr that excited me was he can turn a hoop. On a pass rush. I mean, he's an athlete that could turn the hoop. But beyond that, I mean. As long as nobody was jamming him up. Right, well, I mean, he's got that can kind turn, of. Well, I could turn that. Right, well, he's got that kind of athleticism. But the yeah. point of attack, I, I didn't see any point of attack that
1: would say, oh, man, that guy's going to be great there. Those were the ESPN radio guys last night. Just destroying the Vikings for taking Anthony Barr, number nine overall. Mark Schlereth. And who was the other
2: gentleman? Uh, Riddick.
1: Riddick. Louis Riddick, former pro personnel guy for the Eagles.
0: You said former, right? Yes, I did. So he got fired. I don't know. He maybe uh, resigned. I, I
1: don't. Know. I don't know his situation. I <laughs> I'm just. I mean, I'm, just I'm just. You know. I'm just saying.
2: But that's my. This is my whole point about when guys say Mike Zimmer has never taken and or had a player like this before. Mike Zimmer might have wanted a guy like this before, but he worked for a guy who was a defensive guy. So if he said to Marvin Lewis, "Hey, Marvin, here's what I'm thinking that we should do," and Marvin Lewis said, "Absolutely not," it wasn't going to happen. You know. Keep in mind. Leslie Frazier, who before he uh, he failed here as a head coach and was fired, was a pretty good defensive coordinator. Guess where Leslie was basically shown the door or walked away from because he couldn't work with the person? Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati. So if you're going to base your sole judgment on the fact that Mike Zimmer has never had a guy like Anthony Barr, I think you're being a little short-sighted because you don't know how this kid's going to be used and we are not going to know how Anthony Barr, we're going to have no idea what the Vikings are going to do with this guy until opening day of the regular season next year. Because if Anthony Barr gets on the field during the preseason, which he certainly will, it's going to be vanilla, vanilla looks. I guarantee you the Vikings during the preseason, all four games, are going to play essentially a 4-3 base defense, go in nickel once in a while yeah. and show you nothing. And then on opening day, what you're going to see sometimes is four down linemen two down linemen, Mm -hmm. three down linemen. Look at the successful NFL defenses around the league now because what did we say all last season? Tampa 2, it's outdated, which is true. It's outdated. The Tampa 2 in its principles is somewhat predictable. What are the good defenses? They're not predictable. They utilize people in different ways. A few years ago, before their defense fell off, the Green Bay Packers, Dom Capers, right, was being lauded for the fact that he gave all these different looks. Peter King had a great story in SI, I think before the season, about three years ago, about the evolution of defenses and how one of the most ridiculous notions now is to say, well, they play a 4-3 or they play a 3-4. Uh-uh. The good defenses around the league, you don't know what they're going to play. That's why they're good. Call those amoeba defenses. Yeah. Amoeba defenses. But that's that's why if you're trying to say Anthony Barr is not going to fit, you don't know that. And, And I'm not defending the pick. What I'm saying is let's be patient here. And I wanted a cornerback. If I had been Rick Spielman, I think I would have probably addressed cornerback. Yeah. But if you're just going to say Anthony Barr doesn't fit this and Zimmer has never done this before, well, let's let's all just take a step back and wait and see. So here's where I'm perplexed. When Mike Zimmer was hired as head coach of
1: the Vikings, and even in the two or three years before the Vikings made this hire, what was the buzz around the NFL? Not just fans and media, but players and coaches. Why hasn't Mike Zimmer gotten a better look at he- as, as a potential head coach candidate? What's preventing Mike Zimmer from being... An NFL head coach. If Mike Zimmer ever gets a job, he's going to be an unbelievable head coach because of his style, his ability to get into players, but also to scheme and to relate to players. One of the best defensive minds in the NFL. All he needs is a shot. When the, Vi- when the Vikings hired him, the reaction was, this is an unbelievable hire. Can't believe nobody did this in the last couple of years. That defense is going to be unbelievable. He's going to turn it around. It might take a year or two, but they're going to be a top-ten defense. Oh, man, Captain Munderland, what a great signing. Oh, man, Linval Joseph. Praise, praise, praise. Mike Zimmer, Mike Zimmer, great defensive mind. And When he goes and picks somebody that you saw down on Mel Kuyper's draft board, all of a sudden everyone's turning on him. So if you took away mock drafts that you see in the media and you took away all these player prospect rankings, because, again, you don't know what the Vikings draft board looked like. You don't know what the Texans draft board looked like. You don't know what the Cowboys draft board looked like. You don't know what anyone's draft board looked like. If Mike Zimmer and you were sitting at a bar drinking a beer, and you say, hey... Zimmer, old buddy, are the Vikings going to be better? And he says, I think we are. Who are we going to draft? Well, we're looking at this linebacker from UCLA, kind of a linebacker edge pass rusher. His name is Anthony Barr. Now, he's only played linebacker for a couple of years. He used to be an H-back, but I've been in the NFL for a long time. I've coached under Bill Parcells. I've coached some of the best fourth-quarter two-minute defenses in the NFL with the Cincinnati Bengals, and I know what a really good defensive player looks like. Why are we doubting Mike Zimmer's acumen based on what we perceive to be a reach for value on Mel Kuiper's draft board? And How I'd, asinine is
2: that? And I'd be fine ripping apart their draft board. See, I don't care about that. If their draft board had Johnny Manziel as the ninth pick, if they just said, we got to take a quarterback, if they made the same mistake that they made with Christian Ponder— then I think we could sit here today, and while everyone is all a buzz about Johnny Manziel, we could say, what were these guys thinking? What are they doing? The issue here is, if I had said to you yesterday, Phil, I hadn't given you names at all, but I had said, all right, the Vikings are definitely going to do two things here. Number one, they're going to... Basically, they basically use their pick, but they're going to trade back one pick, which you wouldn't care about they that much. A
1: fifth, they got an extra fifth-round F- pick, right? So
2: Yes, fifth-round pick, you're okay. right. So if I was to tell you yesterday morning that the Vikings were going to trade back one pick and with the ninth pick take either, and, and forget names, a linebacker or a cornerback, but it's going to be a linebacker. So they're going to address defense, which I think we all agreed at one point was a huge need. This defense, as bad as Ponder and the quarterbacks could be last season, the offense was not the real Achilles heel of this team. The Achilles heel, what lost them games lots of times was their defense. Yep. And then I said to you, they're going to trade back in late, very late in the first round and get a quarterback. And that's and folks, that's what they're going to do. And I'm, it's I'm going to be
1: Teddy Bridgewater, but, but the but guy say, everybody wanted six months ago. But let's just
2: say I give you no names. Let's just say I give you two positions. I think you would have walked out of here around 1 o'clock yesterday saying, you know what? Yes. That makes perfect sense. Hundred percent. That makes perfect sense. Hundred percent. And I guess I guess if the question comes down to okay, let's just narrow focus this conversation down to linebacker. And I was to tell you the Vikings were going to take a linebacker at number nine. And Khalil Mack was going to be off the board at number five to Oakland. If you don't want it to be Barr, who did you want it to be? Cause there's only linebacker one, this isn't Anthony Barr, as far as I can tell, is not coming here as a traditional linebacker. This is not if you're thinking of this, if you're thinking of this of uh, you know uh, Jasper Brinkley plays linebacker, Chad Greenway, this is not a traditional linebacker this is a this is basically an edge pass rusher. Well, you know what this is? You know what this is? This is a guy. this is a reverse of everson Griffin. That's what this is. everson Griffin is an end who they hoped had the athletic ability to play linebacker, sure, and he I'm did dead. not he did not. So this is a guy who's going to line up at linebacker sometimes but probably can put his hand down if he has to and rush. So this is a reverse on Griffin but a better athlete because you and I both saw Griffin when he showed up his rookie year. This was a kid who was not in shape. It sounds like this guy, bought. He's is taking an, party buses to uh, yeah. Las
1: Vegas every other weekend. But this
2: sounds like Facebook an athletic freak. And I don't know, I don't know, if I told you they were going to take a linebacker and Mac was going to be off the board, who would you have said? Oh, they got C.J. Mosley at nine? I think that would have got criticized, know, but too.
1: C.J. Mosley was projected, quote-unquote, to go 15th or 20th. Do you think Do you think, right. think this—now, I don't want to discredit the fans who are waking up today thinking, oh, that was an amazing draft. Holy cow, Teddy Bridgewater in the first round, late in the first round, and addressed a defensive knee because— there's a lot of people who feel that way, too. Uh, we'd love to hear from both sides, 651 646 8255 1500 But do you think the segment of fans were disappointed? Now, if you wanted Johnny Manziel, there's probably no consoling you today. You They passed on him twice or once, I guess, and then, well, technically they passed on him at 8 and then again at 9 and then didn't have enough ammo to get him at 22. And they tried. The it. Came back. And it does sound like they tried to get him at 22. But do you think people would have felt better had they drafted just stay at 8? And drafted Justin Gilbert, the cornerback. Yes. Because Justin Gilbert seems like a more NFL ready player right now compared to Anthony Barr, who because he has only played defense for a couple of years, seems like more of a project. Yes. But again, that's that's such a reach, I'll use that word, to suggest that we on the outside, never really watching coaches film, all we're doing is getting second and third hand reports that we can summon that we're so nuanced when we watch football and break down The Scouts, Inc. uh, draft write-ups that we can somehow say, you know what, it was a huge mistake to not draft Justin Gilbert over Anthony Barr. Now, they do need cornerbacks, but Chad Greenway is the only NFL caliber, proven NFL caliber linebacker on this team, and he's 30 years old and had a bad season last year.
2: If you did, if you actually put together a list going into the draft last night of what I think the preference would have been, and not the not the fans that liked Manzel, but let's just say you're realistic about this football team, and so you put together a list of what you'd like to see in the first round. Cornerback, I think, should have been one. I think if you stay at eight and take a guy like Gilbert, nobody's complaining today. Cornerback should have been one. Linebacker has to be two. And you could even say that you could solidify, bolster, and get younger on the defensive line with a pick there. I think if you really look at this quarterback class and you look at what was available on offense and you look at what the Vikings have on offense, in the first round early on with that 8 or 9 pick, I'd be hard-pressed to go offense. I think your defensive needs are huge. And, yes, you've started, as you mentioned, you've started to address those in March when you went and signed some free agents. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't take care of it. And think about this, too. With attrition and injuries, there's a lot of positions on defense and rotations. There's a lot of positions on defense that you can never have enough good depth at. So just because you're saying to yourself, well, they might have a guy here or there, yeah, they might have that guy, but he might get hurt. Something might happen there. But, yeah, I think if you put together a list, cornerback one, linebacker two. Here's what Mike Zimmer had to say about Anthony Barr last
1: night at uh, Winter Park.
5: When you watch him on tape, he looks almost slender at times. But this guy, we brought him in on the top 30 visit. Um to meet with him and he is a he is a full-grown man uh, he's got great size That's good. he's got great athletic ability um, he's very very intelligent he's a he's a very good person uh, he's the kind of guy that we we want to continue to bring into uh, the Vikings organization he is still learning all a lot of different things and we'll be able to teach him a lot um, you know, with with all these players, we try to have a vision when when we pick them of what we're what we're looking for, and how we can use them in different ways, and how we can use them to our advantage to put stress on the offense, and um, and and he was one of the more unique guys that we had in the draft here.
1: I'll give one more example here of a, a scenario probably not familiar to Vikings fans as much. It was the 2008 draft where. A team reached for a linebacker that was sort of, wow, that guy was projected to go in the 20s or maybe the second round, uh, maybe a little bit raw. 2008 draft, number 10 overall, linebacker Gerard Mayo to the New England Patriots. That was a WTF draft pick by most pundits' standards. Wow, what are they doing? That's a huge reach. Why wouldn't they trade out of that spot? They could have gotten him at 15 or 20. Two years later, three years later, Gerard Mayo had 114 tackles and was one of the best defensive players the Patriots had. So it just kind of goes to show you not everything you hear leading up to the draft can be taken as gospel. In fact, very little of it can probably be taken as gospel. The fact is, Johnny Manziel might wind up being a top-five quarterback all-time, and they might have whiffed big time. We don't know. But he also might be an epic, colossal bust, and quite frankly, we just have to let this the whole thing play
2: out. But don't you think the Manziel discussion is is missing the point of this? I don't think Manziel—Manziel fell to 22— No one really wanted him that bad. That's the conversation. That's the the reality for Johnny. It wasn't like you passed at eight and the Browns took him at nine.
1: That would have been If you were to sit
2: Johnny down today and Johnny, you know, as cocky as Johnny is, you know, I'm still a first-round pick, you have to say, Johnny, no one really wanted you that much. You are a dynamic moneymaker. If you want to make money, the Cleveland Browns, I guarantee you, their phones are lighting up this morning. They're selling season tickets. But nobody really wanted them. The conversation to me when it comes to the Vikings is not Johnny Manziel. The conversation is, should they have taken a corner over a linebacker? And if you say no, they should have taken a linebacker, then you give me the linebacker that you wanted at nine. But if your whole contention today is, I'm mad at the Vikings because they didn't take Johnny Manziel, then the Vikings lost a money-making opportunity off of you because you probably would have bought a jersey, but you don't have the best interest of your football team in mind. And let's just go back to 2011. Think about this. I've said this for months now. If Rick Spielman forced another quarterback pick at 8 or 9 in this draft and he's wrong, game, set, match. That's his job. He's and, done. It's, and, and more importantly, it's the the franchise starts and, over again. And a question, yes, and a question that we can certainly ask Rick, when he joins us this morning, is this. It appears that you listened to your head coach and your offensive coordinator when you made these picks. Mm -hmm. If Norv Turner and Mike Zimmer drove these picks and you're mad today, then you have to be as mad at Norv Turner and Zimmer as you are at Spielman. Don't vent on Spielman and Spielman alone. If he listened to these guys and you're really mad, then you got to go after the new head coach today. And I noticed on Twitter last night, Mike Zimmer's name never even came up.
1: You know what's going to be fun, though? In about 2019... (laughs) when Johnny Manziel, live on ESPN, sits down with Jim Gray to announce he's leaving Cleveland to go play for the Miami Dolphins. Take The decision talent. part two, uh, the scoop with Doogie coming up next. What does Chad Greenway think about the Anthony Barr pick? Uh, Doogie, talk to Chad Greenway last night. We'll get to him next.
3: Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. They're not manly. I don't like it. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN.
5: The nice pick in the 2014 NFL Draft. The Minnesota Vikings select Anthony Barr, linebacker, UCLA. And that's what happened last night. By the way, there's a
1: ton of awesome coverage at 1500ESPN.com. Uh, Derek Wetmore and Andrew Kramer are doing some serious work out there at Winter Park. They talked to Mike Zimmer, talked to uh, Rick Spielman, who will join us, by the way, at 11 o'clock. It's the scoop with Doogie every Friday right here. More scoops than Raisin Brand, Darren Doogie Wolfson, KSTP, what's going on,
13: man? Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you.
2: Hi, Doogie. How are you? Hi,
13: Judd. So what does Chad Greenway think of this pick? He's okay with it. I was text messaging with Chad last night. You know, Chad's Mr. Good Guy, I mean he'll win. Won't well, he win in his last year with the Vikings Judd? The Media Good Guy Award. And I think it's I think it's almost a foregone conclusion just like this time last year. We knew that Kevin Williams was playing his final year in a Vikings uniform. I think we can make that leap. Does he use emo- Greenway? emoticons when he texts you at night? No, no, it wasn't quite that, that extensive. But he told me, you know, he's fine with whatever the Vikings coaches want. You know, Barr will slide in at, at the Sam spot, the strong side linebacker spot. So if they want Chad in the middle, you know, he has some experience in the past playing the weak side position wherever they want him. But clearly it looks like he'll be in the middle or the weak side. Chad Greenway is very open to a move. Now the comeback is, well, what else is he going to say? Well, look at Gerald McCoy. Of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, there was some steam that maybe the Buccaneers, with their top pick, would go Aaron Donald, a three-technique defensive tackle. In other words, if they did, McCoy would have been asked to move to the nose tackle position. Well, McCoy tweeted yesterday, no way, no how am I switching positions? Players say this all the time. They're not switching positions. In this case, I would take Chad Greenway at face value. Really good guy, really
2: good teammate. He is willing to move whatever the coaches want from him. But here's the key. He's not going to switch positions. In the Tampa 2, okay, 2006, the Vikings start the Tampa 2, Mike Tomlin's D.C., and we all wrote that Chad Greenway was the weak-side linebacker. Leslie comes in and tries to explain to us, and it's very convoluted the next year, no, Chad's actually the Sam linebacker. Lieber's the weak-side linebacker. But the reality was the Tampa 2 is a different system. The, in the system they're going to play now, Chad Greenway is going to stay at the same position, and we're going to we're call it the weak-side Barr is going to come in and play what we considered in the Tampa two, the strong side, but it's no position change at all. Chad Greenway is actually going to be pretty much left alone. And so that's why I keep saying for everybody that tries to translate Anthony Barr to the Tampa two system, this isn't the Tampa two. I guarantee you if Leslie Frazier had been in the draft room last night and still ran the same, his same system, Rick Spielman doesn't even think about Anthony Barr. He's a yes. ter- he's a terrible fit for the Tampa 2. Sing it, Judd. He's going to be bad. here's where he's going to be bad next season. But they can make up for it with what they're going to do. Anthony Barr is not going to be good in open space in pass coverage because he's going to be really raw. That's not why he's here though. He's here to rush the quarterback. He's here to pressure the quarterback. So Chad Greenway essentially is going to come in and he has to learn a new system everybody does but it's not going to be a position change for him, so he should be happy.
13: Yeah, I mean, I think that's excellent analysis. You're right that if Leslie Frazier was still here, Anthony Barr isn't the pick. I have no doubt in my mind from talking to numerous people, not just last night, but over the course of the last handful of weeks, Mike Zimmer drove the Anthony Barr bus. I think he convinced Spielman this is the guy to take. I heard you make the point last hour. You're dead on on my drive in. We just don't know, right? I mean, we think we have an idea of what the Zimmer defense will look like. We can look at some Cincinnati tape and... You know, maybe Dallas tape back in the day, but we don't really know. It's going to be completely different from what we've seen the last how many years with that Tampa 2 defense.
1: Dukes, do we have any idea where Bridgewater was in the Vikings quarterback pecking order?
13: I mean, I know Bob Holtzman of ESPN, who I think does an excellent job, said on air last night that Manziel was the number one quarterback on their board and Bridgewater was number two. Unless a lot of people close to Blake Bortles were lied to, which is possible. Blake Bortles was the number one quarterback. On their board. I don't think they had any of the three as a top 10 grade pick. I think all three were first round grades. We know that. They moved into the first for Teddy Bridgewater. They would have taken Blake Bortles in the first. They would have taken Johnny Manziel in the first. I think it became a moot point. I don't think anybody expected Bortles to go number three to Jacksonville. I'm just telling you, if you look at Norv Turner's 29-year history in the NFL, Blake Bortles, what he does, that skill set, is the Norv Turner quarterback. So again... Logic, deductive logic, and based on all sorts of conversations, what Vikings personnel were telling people close to Bortles at Central Florida, his personal camp, his quarterback's coach, who's the backup quarterback in Chicago, Jordan Palmer, his agents. I'm just telling you, unless the Vikings were lying to all those people, Blake Bortles was the number one quarterback on the Vikings board.
2: Potential theory for you here, too. Uh, Glazer reports last night that the Vikings thought they had a trade with Philadelphia to get that 22 pick, in which case they would have taken Manziel. Cleveland, which still had the 26th pick in the first round, the Vikings were out of first-round picks, at the last second comes up and gets him, uh, from gets that pick from Philadelphia. You remember how Cleveland got that pick, right? They got that pick yes, in it, the Trent
13: Richardson trade. Yes. Remember, the Browns yep. moved up, the Vikings moved back for
2: Khalil, moved up for Trent Richardson, and then trade Richardson to Indianapolis for the 26th and pick. And someone actually tweeted me last night and said, what if the Vikings could have gotten that pick for Toby Gerhardt? But that's not what I was going to ask you. Rick Spielman, disappointed, do you think, when the, uh, when the Browns come into the last second? Or do you think that Jimmy Haslam certainly put pressure on his GM to get that 22nd pick? He wanted Manziel, but he knew they couldn't take him early. Or do you think Rick had Ziggy sitting by him saying, yeah, you know what, let's consider Manziel. And Rick was actually very relieved when Cleveland trumped him. Because I just got to imagine, if you're a football ops guy, Johnny Manziel could be a complete nightmare.
13: Sure. So I think it's more the latter, not the former. I think on their draft board, Manziel and Bridgewater, it was horizontal. I mean, maybe by just a slim margin, they preferred Manziel. I think they're plenty fine landing Bridgewater. I think they had both of those guys in that 20 to 30 range within a couple picks. I think their grades were extremely comparable. I think if the Vikings really wanted Manziel, Judd, now we don't know what the clock was reading when Philadelphia had to make the final call, but I do believe the Vikings had a chance to trump the Browns offer, whatever that would have been offering next year's one as goofy as that might sound offering a few more picks this year. I think the Vikings had a Mm -hmm. chance after the Browns made the offer to trump the Browns offer. And that's when the Vikings said, no, we're willing to do this. If you don't want to do this, take that deal, Philadelphia with Cleveland, we will move on. So I think it's absolutely the latter. They are fine. Now I think the fans are disappointed you know based on twitter reaction and, and some other forums i think you know most of the fans are are extremely frustrated that johnny manziel is not a viking this morning but i think over at winter park they are plenty happy with the way it turned out i
1: think the the trust factor with rick spielman among the fan base would be now this you can't just pull this elephant out of the room i get that but if not for christian ponder i think people would give rick spielman a lot more benefit of the doubt because christian ponder is the only first round pick he's whiffed on harrison smith Cordero Patterson, Matt Khalil, who, I mean, jury's still out a little bit, but Matt Khalil's been fine. Mm-hmm. Adrian Peterson, Percy Harvin, Xavier Rhodes looks like he's going to be awesome. Christian Ponder is the only Shreif. elephant in that room. Shreve Floyd, I'd say jury's still out. We're, we just don't know mm-hmm. yet. The only big whiff he's had in the first round, the only even moderate whiff he's had, is Christian Ponder. And it was a massive, I was gonna massive say, that's a, whiff.
2: That's a pretty big swing and a miss. Right, but...
1: But I think if you're just looking player for player, you know he's batting whatever it is, 850 or 900 on first-round draft picks. So I give him more benefit of the doubt in the first round Absolutely. than a lot of people probably And do.
13: where the narrative changes now is, trust me, and Judd, you've made this point for weeks, they don't take Teddy Bridgewater, they don't make that move without Norv Turner's blessing. Norv Turner, yep. just like Mike Zimmer has his fingerprints all over the Anthony Barr selection,
2: Norv Turner has his fingerprints all over the Bridgewater pick. I would agree completely, and Norv Turner's the guy. When you look at Manziel, and here's the—see, here's where I I buy that they had talks with Philadelphia about that pick, Doogie. And I buy the fact that there might have been certain people, i.e. the Wilfs, who would have loved to get Manziel because you could have sold a ton of jerseys. And we could talk all we want about, oh, you know, the stadium for the next two years is full, and then they've got the new place coming, and it's going to be full— but you can never, if you're an owner of a team, in my opinion, you can never have enough publicity, sell enough jerseys. Although they don't but, really need it in this time. But, no, but here's my point about Norv Turner. If you look at Manziel, was Norv Turner, and we can debate if he should have done this, but that's not the point. Was Norv Turner really prepared to redo his entire offense? Because he would have. That's what he would have had to do. Teddy Bridgewater's going to come in here and, lo- and learn Norv Turner's offense and run that offense. Now we'll see how it works. It might not work. It might. But if you, the second you bring in Johnny Manziel, you don't tell Johnny Manziel, all right, Johnny, sit down. Here's what I run. You, If you are smart and you get Manziel, you tailor your offense to what he does well. Was Norv Turner prepared to do that? I find that a little bit hard to believe.
13: A little bit, but not a lot, because correct me if I'm wrong, Norv, over his 29 years coaching the NFL, did have Doug Flutie as a quarterback once. Did he not have Alex Smith once? So I think he had to cater his offense to Flutie and Smith somewhat. So I think
2: it could have worked, but Smith. But you I think could, overall, Smith, I think you the could overall point too. makes sense, though. Smith, you could do that too. But when it comes to Manziel and keeping him healthy, you would have had to make. You would have had to basically take your fundamentals and say, "Okay, this is what I believe, but here's what we need to do." 2014, with the way offenses run now and how complex they've become, that would have been a lot of changes to an offense that I don't know. And keep in mind too. You've already started to instill with this current group of veterans what you want to do. So I'm just interested to know, and we'll never find out completely because uh, they didn't get them, how much they would have bet for Johnny Manziel to run that offense. We got
1: to kick Doogie out because he's going over to uh, St. Paul for the Wild State of Hockey. Doogie. Well, you know what? State Actually, this we Greg
13: Jennings and... is doing a speech at the Minneapolis Convention Center, so reversing my schedule a little bit. Just thinking, hey, it would be good to talk to Greg. I know you guys had him on the other day. Just getting some reaction. Yeah, he said he hates you. I... Well, so, so you're that bl- wouldn't shock me. So trust you're, me, <laughs> you're
2: blowing off hockey for football. <laughs> I'm
13: blowing off hockey for football. One wolves my note by the way, sport takes another. Can hat. I get one wolves note in quickly? Yeah. Lots of tweets about hey. Mark Jackson. Will the Wolves go after Mark Jackson? No way, no how. Yes, the guy wins. He had zero relationship with the front office and ownership. Flip Saunders is not hiring a coach that he can't get along with, that ownership All cannot right. get along with. So that's also Lionel Hollins and George Carl. Do not look for Mark Jackson, Lionel Hollins, or George Carl to get the Wolves okay. job. Thank
1: you,
3: Doogie. All right, boys, have a good See weekend. next, and Spielman at 11. This is Mackey and John on 1500 ESPN. There's stuff you shouldn't know about. But you know, if you mix equal parts of gasoline and frozen orange juice concentrate, you can make napalm. And there's the stuff you should know about. Who led the American League in home runs in 1953? Phil and Judd will fill you in on the latter, now on 1500
1: ESPN. Please, please tell me now. Dave Harrigan, the floor please, is yours. We're not even going to do any pre stuff banter. You just did. Or, yeah, should, or should, should we do some pre-stuff banter? Or
2: what do you think? No, no. Do not tick Harrigan off. He's already mad about his baseball team. He just lose again yesterday. Those poor kids. Oh, he's got him play throwing. yesterday. It was kind of stormy. Oh. He's trying to start the same kid. And back to backs. No, <laughs> no I'm it's not. gotten that bad. Double headers. He doesn't care. Harrigan
1: gets so nervous that like parents of his team are going to be listening and think that he's just he is this dictator of a coach.
2: Harrigan told to me be. this morning that he's playing hurt. He has sore ribs, and I said, the a parent finally haul off and hit you?" Uh, That's an oblique, actually. <laughs> I
0: got an issue. I'm uh, I'm thinking I should be okay in a couple days. Day to day, right now, but you know, just I'll keep you posted. It might have to turn into a but probably not. <laughs> what do you got today? ESPN and NFL and the NFL are king, boys. ESPN's rating overnight for the uh, NFL draft a six point eight. That's up forty eight percent from what it was just a year ago. And to uh, give you a little bit of an idea of what some of the other ratings were last night, yep. if I can figure out where I put this. Well,
1: that just that, that doesn't count NFL Network, right? That's just ESPN. That yes. is
0: just ESPN, yes. NFL Network, add to that, they were
1: a 1.9. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, other stuff That's pretty on, high for NFL Network.
0: Other stuff on TV last night, Blazers, Spurs, a 2.7. Heat, Nets, 2.6. Mm-hmm. Boston, Montreal, NHL, 1.2. And Anaheim, LA, a 0.5.
1: Seven. Well, and even, I, I'm looking not to rip on hockey here, but NHL Stanley Cup Finals, game one last year on NBC, did a 3.9. That's on network television, and the NFL Draft is doubling it on cable. Wow. Of course, That's I mean... pretty good. More people care about football than hockey, so it's not really that surprising. I do have to admit, though... But it's still
0: just a draft. You know,
1: Monday Night Raw used to do an eight back in the day, just so you guys know. Oh, well, it's because you
2: had it on like nine TVs well, in your dorm
1: room. I'm not denying that.
2: All with boxes. So... <laughs> As a guy who has covered this draft for a long time, and for the most part, many years the draft bores me, I was actually really excited last night. And I think the key to it started with the first pick and having no idea. I think year after year, having the first pick either signed to a contract or the team's announced we're going to take so-and-so and and we've entered into negotiations – It's sort of a buzz kill.
1: Yeah, the lack of spoilers was great last night. The only guy who was spoiling it was Jason Lockenfora for the most part. But I don't
2: even care about that. We're just talking about from pick to pick you didn't know. Starting with pick number one, you thought Clowney might go, but you weren't positive about that. I just thought the fact that it was so wide open and there was so much uncertainty and it was a pretty good draft made last night a lot of fun.
0: The Packers' first-round selection last night was none other than Ha Ha Clinton Dicks. He Careful posted enough. a uh, photo yesterday to uh, Twitter. Did you see the photo, boys? No. It's him sitting in a booth. Uh, looks like maybe a restaurant. I believe it's actually the lobby of a hotel. He's having a little something to eat. And sitting next to him on the booth is a little little white
1: something it's a couple inches long and uh, wait he, so he's smoking a he's smoking a massive joint in the photo
0: well it's not massive but it's sitting next to him on the uh, on the booth it's about three feet away from him it kind of looks like a joint really? and he wasn't
1: drafted by either seattle or denver, denver. <laughs>
0: that was a speculation uh, clinton dicks tweets however how how lol you guys crazy that's a piece of tissue i was in the restaurant at the hotel having lunch in the picture you can look at the picture by the way, Mackey and Judge show page
1: 1500espn.com and judge for yourself. Oh, that's uh I'm looking for my song here and I can't find it, so I guess we'll just move on. No, no, okay, Phil, on. Phil
2: real quick, tell uh tell everybody about the Photoshop Manzel picture that showed up on Twitter last night. The Photoshop picture oh, yeah, of him the, holding a glass. So of...
1: someone took a photo of Johnny Manzel drinking a water in a clear glass and photoshopped it into a Bud Light glass with a beer and it looked legit. It, totally it looked, looked legit, legit and so it was getting retweeted throughout the universe and then People realized, okay, he's not actually drinking a beer on national television. But for 10 minutes, I was thrilled. <laughs> for 10
2: minutes, I was on board with the Manziel pick. Uh-oh, here we go.
5: da 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 la da da la da da la da
2: Be careful with the name, by the way. Ha-ha. Hi, my name is Ha-ha Clinton Dix,
1: and I'm super high. <laughs> I was going to get drafted by the Seahawks last night, then I got high. Bine up, up of in Denver takes me and here's why <laughs> hey, hey, so I can get high, so I can get high so I can get high. By the way, Rick is gonna email us again. Stop singing, you guys aren't well, funny. We're hilarious.
2: At least we think <laughs> shut we shut up, not.
1: Rick. Quit emailing us. We laugh at our own jokes, that's all the validation
2: we need. Rick doesn't like our singing. It's very, very hurtful. He's the rock the knows how you feel
0: about
1: pie.
2: Yeah, Rick. Anyways, what's up here again? How do you think Charles Barkley feels
0: about ladies who are a bit overweight? Uh feels like they're I from San Antonio. Actually. They are correct. This oh, is this what Barkley said on TNT just a couple nights ago. a big old women <laughs> oh, down there. Why would you say that?
14: That's, a, that's,
0: that's say that. a gold mine for
14: Weight Watchers. <laughs> I I big Why does every conversation oh, about uh, San Antonio yeah, but, eventually hey, come around come to... Uh, uh, they have is in No, no, And Victoria, definitely a secret. Oh, man. <laughs> they can't wear no Victoria's Secret down hey, there. It's a secret.
0: That is not the first time Barkley has made mention of how he views the women of San Antonio. He did the God. same thing uh, earlier this season on the same broadcast. And now after that, a couple nights ago, the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance oh, here we go. has asked Barkley to apologize, saying making slurs about body size is just as offensive as making comments about color. One would think being a black man, he'd be more sensitive to having his physical well, body criticized. It's totally out of line. Now,
1: in fairness, uh, you're born black. You're not born large. So that's not entirely accurate. Get, not to condone Charles well, Barkley making
2: fun of and some, obese people. And sometimes you get large when you eat, let's just say, too much bacon in the morning. Too many eggs, yeah. Too many eggs. Your cholesterol yeah. goes through the roof. So you're telling me that
1: when I have uh,
2: when I've not taken a so
1: physical in four years— <laughs> So when your diet consists of cheese, meats, bacon, and eggs, uh, you shouldn't be shocked when your physician tells you, "Dude, we need to put you on cholesterol medication." You're almost
2: dead right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm laughing because it hurts. Is what I, is what's
0: really oh, happening? Hitting close to home. Uh, Joe Torre is set to have his number six retired by the New York Yankees. That was that would announce. That would leave the numbers one, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine all retired. And we know what's going to happen to number two pretty mm-hmm. soon, Derek mm-hmm. G He will not be able to wear a single digit with the New York Yankees anymore. What about number zero? Oh well, I guess you could wear that. Okay, smarty pants. Although technically, any mathematician would tell you zero isn't a number.
2: And it's, fun- and it's funny because you have certain organizations that don't like to retire numbers for this very reason, and the Yankees retire have retired almost every number they can. It'd
1: be nice if the Twins had that problem. They really just don't, though. No, they don't. They're not even close. When's the last time we retired a number here for the Twins? Tom Pucket? Kelly, right? Tom Kelly. Okay, yeah, Tom Kelly, number 10. That was and Before 10 years that, ago. it was
2: Burt, right? Yeah, Burt. Uh, yeah, you know what? Burt was retired. Tom Kelly, they retired his number. Could Torrey Hunter's number be retired? I don't think so. Who would be the closest in the last 10 years? Well, Maurer. Maurer will have it retired probably very soon. In fact, he'll still be playing, and they're going to retire his number because he's oh, not going to keep Yo- playing. 57, Johan? No. Did he leave too soon? No. Santana... Look at who they've look at the numbers they've retired. Uh, Puckett entire career here. Herbeck entire career here. Blylevin, no. Oliva entire career here. Brad Radke no no. I don't know. Do they have? Do they? I have, love how like the fact that we're debating have... Brad Radke kind of shows the state of the yeah, Twins pitching in the, the all, last the ten fa- years. The fact you mentioned Brad Radke in itself <laughs> is a bit embarrassing. What about Sidney Ponson. Number?
1: Can we retire his number? Ron Mahay, <laughs>
2: Ron Mahay.
1: How about that? There was a guy in the oh, chat man. last night That'd in be our Vikings chat. Can they, they, just, like, they should bring in Ron Mahay just for fun. Hey, man, we're going to retire the greatest loogie in Twins history. We're going to retire your number, bud. You got one more, Harrigan?
0: I've got one more. Did you guys know uh, Plexico <laughs> Burrs is a big hockey fan, apparently? I know Cordell Patterson is. Oh, Plexico is. He was uh, watching little Pens uh, Rangers the other night, tweeted, Pens win! All caps, exclamation point. It was fantastic. Unfortunately, a guy named Chris Whalen uh, then tweeted back to at Plexical Burris, hey, dude, there's a whole period
1: left. But he think that, oh, that, that no. there was two halves.
0: Yeah, he tweeted it after the second oh, no. period. Which Burris, Wait, so when he then, sees
1: these, the players calmly skating off the ice into the locker room, and he thinks the game's over. Burris
2: responded oh. with,
0: "Go Pens. I make guarantees. Been there, done that, and I oh,
2: win." Asked right. Tom Brady, okay, "Yeah, yeah sure. okay. You're cover yeah, your tracks." Yeah, you understood hockey real well, Plex. Also, a
1: guy who fired off a gun in his uh, sweatpants pant leg like six years ago <laughs> and spent two years
2: in jail for it. Have so. you ever? Have you guys ever contemplated how he was actually packing that heat? I don't understand. If you have sweat pants on how do you get unless you holster it up in which case no. it wouldn't go how does the gun go off it's funny
1: hearing judd say packing that heat yeah, okay. well, when, how
2: much heat have you packed when in you're your left? packing when you're packing the heat you,
1: pack, gun, you packed no, that you, you, you packed a lean pocket in your left pocket three days
2: ago that's about as much heat as you pack uh, it was string cheese okay so <laughs> oh, okay. get off my back it was a big thing of string cheese i want to know where he had the gun actually that's in his sweatpants for it to go
1: off <laughs> i'm just happy to see it you You can eat those tots dude Let's just move on. All right, let's get to Rick Spielman in about 10 minutes.
3: Phil Mackey, Judd Zogad.
12: Great teammates, and I think they really buying into that. They're investing in each other.
3: Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN.
0: If you haven't signed up for 1500 ESPN rewards yet, well, you're missing out. Right now, you can win golf passes, tickets to beer festivals, DVDs, Even a pair of tickets to see the sold-out Paul McCartney show at Target Field. Simply head to 1500ESPN.com. Rewards, sign up today.
1: I'm trying to find Todd McShay. Somebody sent us a tweet that said, in January, mock drafts had both Bridgewater and Anthony Barr as top five picks. So I'm I'm frantically trying to find. It's funny how you go to ESPN's uh, draft page, and yesterday they had versions one through six. Right. Up on the front page, and now they're mysteriously gone because obviously uh, most mock draft pundits whiff on everything. I'm trying to find this though, be curious. If so they were both projected to be both, top five hold picks. Hold on,
2: did you say Kuiper and McShay both had? I them don't top know. Five? I don't know. Now, Kuiper basically admitted on Mike and Mike a couple days ago that he does five versions of his draft, and Here he purposely go. mixes things up. So that he did a draft where Khalil Mack went number one overall, but Kuiper never believed it would happen. But he wanted a version where he did. Here it is.
1: This is Todd McShay's mock draft 1.0, December 18th, 2013. Number yeah. one overall, the Houston Texans, Theodore Bridgewater. Number two, Jake Matthews to St. Louis. Number three, Blake Bortles. Number four, Johnny Manziel. They had four quarterbacks going in the top four, uh, or three in the top four picks. Mm-hmm. Anthony Barr, seventh overall, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers.
2: So, what you're saying Funny is, if change. this
1: draft, if last night's draft had been held in
2: December, the Vikings would have been lauded as geniuses. And it's
1: December 13th. How many games were played in college football? How many games did each team play in college football from December 13th until right now? They one. Played one bowl game.
2: One. They played one bowl so game. So, why did things. I know the, the combine with the measurements and whatnot. It's and you have to put some stock in It's that, Manziel but... driven. We are upset. People are upset. I think the. Main people that are very vocal and upset are upset because the Vikings didn't take Manziel. I don't think this has anything to do with the players they took. Mm -hmm. I think this has everything to do. I think those who really think about it might be sort of upset they didn't take a corner. But the vast majority of people wanted to go out today and buy a Manziel jersey. And but you still can. I mean, upset. those Cleveland jerseys are going to look pretty sweet, and you can they're still upset. Buy one. And they are upset. The Vikings didn't take Mansell This is driven by this is driven by the fact the Vikings passed not on a player, a marketing opportunity. So coming up here, Game Show Friday makes its
1: return at 11:20. Is Rick going to Rick going to stick around and play
2: Game Show Friday? Should we do that? That'd be great. Do you think if he he'd want a
1: twenty dollars gift card to Tanucci's? To, uh, Why wouldn't he? I bet he would love it. Well, let's ask him next. Rick Spielman's going to join the show. Maggie and Judd. Phil Mackey.
14: He's just not scared at all of the big stage. He he just can't say enough about this young man.
3: Judd Zolgad.
8: You know, you're a pretty astute guy at times.
3: Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN.
5: With the 32nd pick in the 2014 NFL Draft, the Minnesota Vikings select Teddy Bridgewater. Quarterback, Louisville.
2: And that was the final pick of the first round last night, Teddy Bridgewater, a Viking. He will be introduced along with uh, Anthony Barr, 4 o'clock this afternoon at Winter Park as the press conference. Kind enough to take some time to join us now, a Vikings GM, Rick Spielman, a very busy man last night. And Rick, I would say that, that it was probably a harried process that got you back in the first round, but knowing you three years in, in a row doing this, it's probably old hat now to make that final second phone call and get back in the first round, right?
6: Well, it, it makes uh, Thursday night interesting, to say the least. So we've been uh, very fortunate to be able to do that the past three years.
2: Take me through the process to get that pick now. Does, that, does the groundwork for that begin early or late?
6: That starts, uh, you know, last night. It depends on where we're at in the draft. Um, last night that started with Philly at the 22nd pick, and then we uh, we started to work down from there. Then we started receiving some phone calls from other teams that were uh, looking to potentially get out of the first round.
1: Did you guys have it in your heads that you were likely to draft a defensive player early? I mean, obviously there was the trading down multiple times might have been a scenario, but grab a defensive player early and then have your pick of quarterbacks late is that how you wanted it to play out
6: we had a specific plan that we wanted to go in and i knew you know in this draft we needed to get some more uh more things addressed on the defensive side of the ball and uh, so we planned on going defense first and then as we watched the draft unfold um we wanted uh to get that quarterback situation addressed we moved back into the first. There was a couple reasons for that. One, uh, because there was, we would get the best of the quarterbacks that were available. And two, by going back into the bottom of the first round and you take that position, you get that fifth-year option mm-hmm. on their contract, which is a huge, huge deal, especially uh, coming in and if Teddy does not play this year and you redshirt him and you develop him, you still have four more years with him.
1: So, with that said, the fact that the Seahawks obviously feel comfortable with Russell Wilson, so they don't mind moving back into the second round, they probably had a for sale sign on that pick all night, huh? Uh,
6: I don't know who else Seattle to talk to. I know, uh, you know, I'm very close with John Schneider, and, and I know Pete Carroll real well. So, uh, you know, we've had some conversations even before uh, even before the draft started.
1: To what degree did the first nine picks play out like you guys expected?
6: You know, you just sit there. I think uh, it was pretty clear that those guys were very, very good football players that went before us. You know, there was some movement. I think there were four or five trades in the first round, uh, but it was a very deep class in that first round area. And, uh, you know, I know we had our sights honed in on Anthony Barr uh, just from what he can bring to our defense and the uh, multiple positions he could potentially play for us and uh, to take a guy with that type of athletic ability, with that type of speed, and for him to have the production he had in the Pac-10 with only two years of experience, I know uh, Coach Zimmer really, really thrives on the opportunity to work with players like that.
2: So, Rick, if you had gotten up to 22 and and made a trade for that pick there, would the pick have been a quarterback at that point, starting with that one?
6: Yeah, we were talking about the quarterback, and that's similar to what we did um, with uh, – Cordero Patterson. Last year, we thought um, you know that he was too unique of a talent not to try to go back and make something happen, and then. Uh, there were two quarterbacks up there on the board that we felt very good about and uh, wanted to go back and try to see if we can get one of them before the second day started.
2: Okay, I'll try this then. If you get the pick at 22, is that pick Manziel or Bridgewater?
6: You know, you sit there and you hear the stuff that's reporting out on the media. The one thing I know as a general manager, when you're trying to make trades, you're never going to tell another team what player you're taking. Mm -hmm. Uh, And two, we felt very strongly about both those quarterbacks. Both those quarterbacks were – uh, very high on our board. And both those quarterbacks are very talented.
2: Uh, back to the bar pick for a second. Can you explain to folks? I think, I think the uh, the disdain about that pick is two pronged. One, I think there's a faction of people that that wanted Manziel badly, and those people can't be appeased. But I think there's also some people today that are upset by the bar pick because they're projecting him into your defense. The problem is they're projecting him into your Tampa two style defense. Uh, we're my, totally different. Exactly, exactly. Straighten out. And, and my first guess is this. If Leslie was still your coach, you don't take Barr. But two, can you sort of just explain what Barr's role could be
6: as what a linebacker here? And when we were in our draft meetings and when uh, Coach Zimmer is sitting there and we're talking about the players, he is actually drawing diagrams on the board next to the uh, draft the draft board. on. Uh, this is how we can specifically utilize this player. Now, when he comes in here, you know, they're going to have to figure out what he does best and and what he can do. But I know when you watch him on the field, um, you know, he is a unique athlete where not only can he come off the edge and rush the passer. Now, does he need technical work? Uh, Yes, he does. But also, when you watch him on the the tape and you see him from a stack position and you see the athletic ability when he drops in coverage – Uh, You see the athletic ability when he blitzes, and Coach Zimmer is a big blitzer uh, when he gets matched up with running backs. Uh, You see the speed and the range that he has, and I saw a couple plays where he would buzz out into the curl, and then all of a sudden the ball's on the opposite side side of the field, and he shags the guy down just because of the acceleration and burst that he has. So if you can take a guy with a lot of those traits that are not coachable and put him in a scheme With Coach Zimmer's scheme, who does multiple things with players, uh, it's very exciting for our defense.
1: So because he's only played defense for a couple of years, uh, the word project and prospect has been thrown around probably a lot more with Anthony Barr than, than other players drafted in the first round. Uh, what do you see his learning curve as? Is he a guy that you anticipate he, he might start from day one or unlikely? What do you think?
6: Well, the one thing that you did notice was that I thought Jim Moore did a great job with him once they moved him over to the defense and how quickly he came along. And you see the production on the tape. And the one thing that you're kind of trying to, if you want to call it, project, but what you're looking for is that only he only has two years of experience playing on the defensive side, but does he still have natural instincts to go and get the ball? And when you watch the tape, there's no question that this guy can go and find the ball. The other part is the coaching part where he can come in, and uh, I know Coach Zimmer is very excited about working with him and George Edwards and and Adam uh, to, to get him technically sound, but you do that with all these rookies that come in. It's a different game up at this level.
1: Vikings GM Rick Spielman with us here on Mackie and Judd. What did you guys find out about Teddy Bridgewater in the private workout?
6: You know, we we uh we spent the most time with him out of any quarterback in this draft. I think we were in front of him maybe five or six times, um, starting at the combined. Uh you know, we spent time with him in the classroom, we spent time with him watching tape, uh, we watched him work out at his at his pro day. And then when we were getting back in the car, Norv said, "If we can do this, or teach him to do this, uh, he he he's got a chance to be pretty unique." So I said, "Why don't we?" Because uh, we had a schedule already planned out for the whole spring. Once we get at the end of our schedule, let's go back down to Fort Lauderdale. Let's work him out again. Let you um, get in front of him, you and Scott, and coach him up on some things. We wanted to see if he can make all the throws necessary in this offense that Norv wants to run. And when we went down and worked him out privately the second time, it confirmed everything that we thought.
2: His pro day uh, drew an incredible amount of response, criticism, scares from some folks. Rick, how legit was that? And, and I guess I would ask this, too. How much do you guys put into a pro day?
6: You, you know, you go there to just kind of confirm some things. But if we just relied on pro days, then why would you scout? Why right. would you go out and scout all fall? Yeah. I mean, all we would do is go out in the spring, go out and find the the, be, the best guys, athletes, not know what they are as football players. The thing that was intriguing about Teddy was that I had an opportunity to see him play live three times, twice uh, in 2012 and then once this year. And every time I had an opportunity to go see him and watch him live and watch him in pressure situations, and I, I mentioned it last night, That game at Rutgers at the end of November in the cold, when uh, he came in off the bench, he had an ankle and a broken wrist, and they needed to win that game to get to him. Uh, I think it ended up putting him in a Sugar Bowl against Florida. He came off the bench and led that team to a victory in a very tough place to play. Mm -hmm. And then you watch him in the bowl game, and you see him play against Florida, who at the time, I have and I think is one of the top defensive coordinators, not the best defensive coordinator in the league right now, Dan Quinn's defense, and how well Florida was playing that, this, that uh, last last year, and, and what he went down and how he performed in that case. So every time he was in a situation where he had to perform on the big stage, he seemed to come through, and he did it again this year in a bowl game.
2: Rick, he's the last pick of the first round, but still a first-round pick, and so you know the immediate question to all you guys is this. When's he going to start? He's got to start. Realistically, what's the timetable for that? And also, how how cautious do you want to be with Matt there already as the starter to let this kid come in, ease in, and most importantly, I think, learn?
6: There's no timetable. It's, you know... Um, and that's one of the reasons why we were aggressive to sign Matt Castle back. We know Matt Castle, and, and watching Matt and Christian over the last couple of weeks, and our coaches working with them, very excited about uh, uh, their progress. So by bringing Teddy in, if he's, you know, they'll get an opportunity to work with him. There's no rush to put him in there until he's ready. And when he's ready, those coaches, the coaches will determine that. But we're going to play the best guy that gives us the best chance to win.
1: Uh leadership qualities is Teddy a leader?
6: Yeah, I have no doubt about that. uh he may come across a little bit as a quiet type personality, but you you find out that leadership stuff uh when and that's why I think it's very important for me to at least get out and see some of these college games live because you see them in a situations they're going to have to face. You see how they react uh with adversity. You don't see that on the tape I mean, you could watch the tape and judge all the talent. But when, especially with the quarterbacks, when you can go out there and watch them live and see when they're, you know, when they're facing a the blitz or he mm-hmm. takes a shot, uh, uh, how does he respond? How does he interact with his teammates on the sideline? What are the coaches saying about him? So a lot of those things you can only get if you go out there and see these kids uh, live.
1: I would think those qualities are the, that that's the art form of trying to find a quarterback. Because you look at the best quarterbacks in the NFL, whether it's a Breeze, a Manning, a Brady. Uh, they're all sort of galvanizing figures who can lead a group of of fifty two or fifty three guys, and so it is. Sometimes I wonder if you get fifteen minutes or whatever you get face to face, but you get the private workouts. It would almost be nice to have a lot more face time with some of these quarterbacks. And, but you tell us,
6: and that and that oh, that's extremely important. And you know, we we start the process at the combine, and we visited with all the quarterbacks for that fifteen minutes at the combine. But that's just i get to know you i mean that's just the initial meeting because that's the first time we get an opportunity to uh, be in front of a lot of these kids but that's why uh, you have to go out in the spring especially at that position and we spent you know three hours uh doing board work with him we spent another hour or so uh watching tape with him then you go out in the field and spend time with him you actually coach him you have your coaches coaching him seeing how he's responding the coaches will uh do some certain things to see how he responds to that. And that's the way you can make the best decision possible.
2: Rick, what are, give me one or two things that you simply can't tell about a kid until he's drafted by you and in your building?
6: Um, you know, it's just when they come in here, um, you know, any any guy that you're going to draft, you're, you're, it's a projection. because, right. And so once they get in the building here, It's just how quickly you're anticipating, how quickly they're going to learn, how quickly they're going to pick up the speed of the game. And everybody's different. Everybody learns some guys hit it right off the bat. Some guys don't hit it to year one or halfway through the first year, or some guys don't hit it to year two or three. They all go at different levels, but you have to be patient, and that's why I firmly believe in, in seeing these guys for three years before you truly can tell uh, what they're going to be.
2: Six picks left in this draft. Are you are you more likely to try to get back into the second round today or move back again and accumulate more picks for Saturday? Well, what I, I,
6: I, I kind of go off reaction. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> so I, I lo- love to watch the board, and then if there's someone that's just sticking up there that's too good, maybe we go uh, become aggressive and try to go get it. But there's also a pretty good chance that we may move back because we have two third-round picks and accumulate more picks for uh, tomorrow as well.
2: Thank you, sir. Appreciate
1: the time. Thank you, uh, Great stuff, man. Thanks. All right. All right. Rick Spielman.
2: Rick Spielman, Vikings general manager, talking about the uh, Bridgewater and Bar picks. And like he said, he and he was right to cut me off, that's the thing about this. The Bar pick, to me, it's a different defense. It's a different defense. Mm-hmm. Anthony Barr is not on this team if Les Frazier's here. Yeah. It's just that simple.
1: The other key thing he said earlier, too, is when talking about trading up, and he flat out said, yeah, we tried to trade up to 22, and we, we didn't get it done. Uh, But he also added, he said there were two quarterbacks we had. We obviously know those were Johnny Manziel and Teddy Bridgewater because he acknowledged them both in the next question. Mm -hmm. It sounded like they had both of them pretty close together, almost like you were saying last hour, horizontally on their draft board. And so if they tried to move up, let's say they were really close together on the draft board. If they tried to move up for one of them and say it was Manziel at 22, didn't they get a better deal by not trading Uh, away more assets to get to 22 by drafting Bridgewater at 32 if they had them both next to each other? Here's
2: my guess. My guess is that ownership's sitting there and saying, if you can get the 22nd pick and we can get Manziel, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. And the football ops people are sitting there thinking, all right, yeah, this kid could be, he could be special, he might not be. But in the back of their minds, they're thinking potential headache. And the Wilfs are thinking jerseys are going to be flying off the rack. And that's why I asked Doogie that question. Is your theory that Rick Spielman was disappointed when Cleveland came up and leapfrogged them and got that pick from Philadelphia? Or does Rick Spielman privately walk away after they lose that pick and say, thank you, God.
1: Do you think Ziggy Wilf and Mark Wilf are ready to bust this out if they draft it? Oh, Matt
3: Bolson!
2: Oh, wait, he's going to be scratched. Johnny Football saves the day! We sell jerseys that are going on display tomorrow, we say. Yes, that's what I say. Uh, Should we do Game
1: Show Friday? All right, coming up next. We're
2: going to do some game? What's going to be the gist of Game Show Friday? Phil.
1: Well, number one, if you want to play free golf at an awesome golf course, the Northfield Golf Club, or if you want a $20 gift card to Tanucci's or a pair of tickets to the Brewers Bazaar in Stillwater, 651-646-8255. We need two contestants, 651-646-8255, 1500 I'll just say NFL-related. Game Show Friday today. I'm not going to give away too much. You just sort of did. Coming up next.
3: This is Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Game Show Friday. That's right. We're back with
0: Game Show Friday. Let's send
2: it over to Mackie and Judd. Oh, yeah, thank yes. You very, very much. It's been such a long layoff. Thank you. How about our guest, Rick Spielman? Huh? Yes. Give him a round of applause, too. Yep. Oh, Rick Spielman.
1: Oh, you say you got your franchise quarterback late in the first round? Oh, you did, <laughs> huh? You sly fox, you Rick Spielman. All right. Game show Friday's back after a two-week hiatus. Here's what we're playing for today. We've got David and Tim on the line. A foursome of golf, plus a card at Northfield Golf Club. Northfield Golf Club, a semi-private 18-hole championship course with a golf shop, restaurant, and a clubhouse located just steps from downtown in historical Northfield, Minnesota. Very nice golf course. Also, if you want a pair of tickets to the Brewers Bazaar in Stillwater, aboard the Avalon Riverboat on Saturday, May 17th. Winner must be 21 or older and pick up tickets here at the radio station and or... A $20 gift certificate to Tanucci's Restaurant, Deli, and Catering. And once again, Randy Moss is not
2: eligible. No, Randy. But Rick Spielman is, if he wants to call back. He is, yes. Uh, I'm sure Rick Spielman might fare
1: very well in the game we're about to play here, too. Dave, tell the contestants, David and Tim, what the general game they will be playing is. We will be playing Categories! Categories. And I'll let you, so I don't uh, mess this up, I'll let you pod both David and Tim up here. You got it, Phil. Thank you, (laughs) Dave Harrigan.
2: He's playing Hurt, too. Don't forget Uh, that.
1: He should do stuff he should know about in the game show voice. And Charles Barkley last night. Charles Barkley doesn't like fatties. (laughs) (laughs) Do your Barkley. Harrigan,
0: real quick. Oh, that's terrible. Them fat people in San, San Antonio, that's awful. a bunch of
1: knuckleheads running around eating churros. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good.
15: Oh, my God.
1: That's unbelievable. Oh, uh, nice work. David on line one, can you hear us? <laughs> yes. All right. Tim on line two, can you hear us? Yes. All righty. Here is the categories <laughs> game you will be playing. It is a Vikings draft-centric game categories game. The way categories works is we're going to throw out the name of a category. So, you know, uh, name a, uh, a an NFL team with an animal on its helmet, and you would name, whatever, Buffalo Bills. And you guys are going to go back and forth until somebody blinks. Understood? Yep. Okay. Yep. We're going to start with David because he's on line number one. So David, you're going to name one thing from the category I'm about to list. And Tim, you have to answer. You guys go back and forth Uh, Now, because, David, you're going first, if you miss one, Tim has to answer in order to win the point. Are you guys ready? Here we go. The category is, in 1998, the Vikings drafted Randy Moss in the first round. Since then, they've taken 18 more players in the first round, not counting last night. David, name one of those 18 first-round picks since '98. Chad Greenway. Chad Greenway is correct, Tim.
7: Christian Ponder.
1: Christian Ponder is correct. This might go a while. Back to David. Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson is correct, Tim.
7: Um, that is going to be um,
1: a, a Khalid, the offensive lineman. Say, you, you say say a name. You came close. Matt
7: Matt Khalid.
1: Well, that's close enough. Matt Khalil. We'll give it to you. Uh, Matt. back to David. Percy Harvin. Correct. Tim. Very confident.
7: Um, <laughs> uh, Chuck Foreman.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thats I think that's correct before 1998. But, Tim, that is incorrect. Uh, David, you win, so congratulations. But just for fun, David, how far can you go down this list? Kyle Rudolph. Okay. Uh, That's actually incorrect. He was was a second-round pick. Uh, The other options would have been Michael Bennett, Dante Culpepper, Sharif Floyd, Chris Hovan, Erasmus James, Bryant McKinney, Cordero Patterson, Xavier Rhodes, Harrison Smith, Kenechi Udeza, Demetrius Underwood, Kevin Williams, and Troy Williamson. Ugh. Tim, uh, stay Ugh. on the line because you will still win a prize for at least being fast you to call just, in. You just ruined
2: everyone's day with that
1: last name. Yeah, I know. And David, congratulations.
2: You are the winner of today's <laughs> Game Show Friday. By the way, the uh, I want to say that Fox Sports gave the Vikings 2005 draft. Erasmus James, Troy Williamson, an A.
1: Like, it's just a straight-up A. Like, Uh,
2: that Monday after the draft, I think they gave it an A.
1: (laughs) That's all you need to know know before you get too upset. A question I I forgot to ask this to Rick Spiel. Maybe we can just call him back and pester him for 15 more minutes. I would have liked to have him answer, how much does your draft board on a season-by-season basis change from when college games end in January? So whatever your draft board is in January, how much does it change in those four months leading up to the draft? I mean, I'm sure you red-flag some guys that you get to meet face-to-face, you find out information, you say, we're not going to draft that guy. But I wonder if you have, just based on what you saw in film and what you saw in college, yep. if you would move, say, Anthony Barr from, oh, fifth on our draft board to, while well, that guy had a bad combine and a bad workout,
2: he's down to 25th. I don't think you'd move a guy that far. You know what might move players more than you'd think? The interview process. I wouldn't be surprised. Now, would it move them drastically? Probably not. But they do, as you just mentioned, they do red flag some guys. So they'll take a guy. Supposedly, from what we've been told, they don't care if you're supposed to be a second-round pick. If there's something wrong with the person, they're just a bad guy, or they dig up information, they will just take him off the draft board. So I would say it probably moves in slight fashion more than you would think. But do they alter it in a major way? Probably not. You remember what he said. They reset it. So it's what? Yeah, uh, what Rick
1: said about the FaceTime with quarterbacks too. You get the 15 minutes at the combine, and that's really nothing more than, hey, can I get you something to drink? Cool, you are going to answer some questions from us. It's just a, a basic handshake, get to know them. You ask them a bunch of questions, and some of those questions well, we've heard are kind of awkward, but you don't really get to find out the leadership qualities of somebody within 15 minutes.
2: I forget what the exact circumstances with Christian Ponder were, but I know the going back to Florida deal to basically say, okay, we think we like this kid, but we got to go back on him. That was Percy Harvin. Right before the 2009 draft, I mean right before, maybe the weekend before or the Monday before, Brad Childress went back down to Florida and went to Harvin's house and talked to mom and dad, who, by the way, were great people. His family was a great family. And so he and Childress went back down there and talked to all of them, sort of recanvassed the whole thing. And they said, "Okay, we'll take him." Yeah. Now, now was he a headache, figuratively and literally? Absolutely. Was it worth it? Absolutely. Yeah. Coming up, we haven't ignored Wild Blackhawks Game Four, even though we've kind we of ignored sort, it so far. We sort of have,
1: but we've had to. Uh, Jess Myers will join us at the top of the hour. Uh, Suhan with more draft discussion. We've got questions of significant importance too. And Derek Wetmore will come in studio and hang out next. Mackie and Judd. This is Mackie and Judd.
12: Please rise for the Zamboni.
5: On
3: 1500 ESPN. The seventh inning stretch of the Mackie and Judd show. They don't win, it's a shame. Time for Talking Twins. With club beat writer and senior web editor of 1500 ESPN.com, Derek Wetmore.
1: Presented by Shane Company. All right, we've, we've got kind of, usually it's three twins insights from twins analyst Derek Wetmore, 1500ESPN.com. We're going to kind of do a little hodgepodge here because you were at Winter Park last night with Andrew Kramer. You also have covered the twins all season too, so uh, you've got three insights. Not all of them are twins though today, right? That's right.
16: I think it probably serves us well and serves the listeners too to talk a little Vikings draft.
2: Just a little bit of interest in what happened at Winter Park last yeah. night, Derek. So let's
1: yeah. just, you know, you take us wherever you want to go. We'll start right here.
11: Number three,
16: I guess we're going to start Vikings because, yeah, I was out at uh, the new media practice set up with the whole media room and film room for the team there, um, covering the draft last night for 1500 ESPN.com. And I got to say, I'm not terribly surprised with the route that the Vikings went. My thoughts leading up to the draft, and this is more from reading other people than really being behind the scenes and all that myself more they were going to address defense which they did and then I also thought with that fifth year option being a possibility for quarterback seeing some of the projections where quarterbacks might slide down at the end of the first round I thought given the teams that were there already set at quarterback I thought it was a good possibility the Vikings moved up there and that's what they did. How much uh,
2: given what's happened the last two and now three years Derek how much Were you guys either surprised and or, I guess, more likely prepared for the trade back in? Because about three or four years ago, I think everyone would have been packing up and saying, "Okay, the first round is done. Seattle's going to either trade this pick or something's going to happen, but it won't involve the Vikings. But I was tweeting by the 29th pick or so, and Phil said the same thing. I think in the last four picks, Phil (laughs) Phil turned to me and said, we are now on Vikings alert quarterback watch. And so when that trade came through. It was no surprise.
16: Well, I'll say this. I didn't know that it was going to be Bridgewater. There were a couple of quarterbacks that it could have been at that spot, but I did get the sense as we were moving into the early 20s, especially when that Jay Glazer report came out that the Vikings had tried to get Philadelphia's pick at 22. We all were looking at each other in the media room, because ordinarily, Judd, this is to get a little bit behind the curtain, your day would have been done. We'd all written our Anthony Barr story. We talked about how the Vikings addressed their defense. In fact, I think you guys even shot a video before the Bridgewater pick. We did. So we're all sitting there in the Winter it's Park media successful.
8: room.
16: <laughs> Questionable. We're all sitting in the <laughs> Winter Park media room thinking, okay, is our day done or is the biggest news about to break? There was just that pervasive sense and that, that is uh, Rick Spielman's track record.
1: And is and I, I like, the more I think about it too, and the more that we talked to Rick Spielman for 15 minutes earlier this hour... I like what they did. Who knows if these players are going to pan out, but I I don't think you can be... Would it have been fun to watch Johnny Manziel? Absolutely. But for anyone who's sitting here today 100% sure that the Vikings passed on the next great quarterback in the NFL, you cannot possibly be sure about that, especially when all of the quarterback-starved teams in the top 15, including the Browns the first time around, by the way, all of them passed on Johnny Manziel. The only people who thought Johnny Manziel was a savior-type quarterback, are fans and media. End of story. The the teams didn't think that, or they would have taken him in the top ten. Somebody would have traded up from lower in the draft, or somebody who needed a quarterback in the top ten would have taken Johnny Menzel in the top ten. Phil,
16: you want to pick your mic back up after that? Is that a mic drop drop right there? Yeah, Yeah. I think think we probably move on on to Twins here, here too. this right here.
11: Number two.
16: (laughs) Number two, I do need to talk about the... As I tweeted yesterday, cluster bleep of a roster <laughs> for the Twins right now. Yeah, they are hamstrung by injuries, and it seems like an incredibly unlucky wave of how many outfielders they've had go down from Sam Fold, Aaron Hicks, Josh Willingham, Oswaldo Garcia. You know, that is going to be a big blow to any team. But the Twins were ill prepared to deal with that kind of a that that wave of injuries. I wrote about that in my five thoughts column from yesterday's game. Did you see the starting outfield yesterday? I know we were all NFL draft-centric. Chris Herman
2: in uh, right. You had, what, Escobar in center. Yep, and And Jason Kubel in left. left. And Kubel in left is fine.
1: You can make a case that none of those three guys should have even been on the 25-man roster to start the season. Like, all of those guys were bubble guys Mm -hmm. on the 25-man roster to start the
16: season at different positions. I guarantee that's not what the Twins had penciled in. Now— they lost Alex Presley on waivers. They lost Darren Mastriani on waivers. Now, in a vacuum, those moves aren't terrible. They're guys that fringe major league players, probably fourth outfielders at best. And it's possible that the Twins decided we don't have use for them and just cast them off. But with the wave of injuries that the Twins have sustained, both of those guys would look good in Twins uniforms right now.
2: Explain this to me as a guy who's around this team quite a bit. Roster construction-wise. Okay, so let's not take any Let's not take any one player in a vacuum. Let's broaden this thing out. Simple question. What are they doing? <laughs> no, well, I'm dead serious. It what, is a... what are they doing? Now, now if, if Matt career was the only guy they brought back and they said, oh, we just want to bring Matty back, and it's just one guy, you know, you might not like it, but it's one guy. But he's not one guy they're bringing back. And I just want to know from somebody around there more than I am, what are they trying to accomplish?
16: Yeah, I—, I... I laughed because it's a simple question, but it's not a simple answer. I I don't know exactly what the answer is. Uh, they did make moves yesterday to try and amend, to kind of ameliorate the situation. They demoted Chris Herman, who might not be able to hit at this level. In fact, probably can't. He was valuable because of the flexibility he had. Uh, they also demoted Pedro Floremon, who I'm comfortable saying can't hit at this level. So they're, they've got two roster moves coming today that will give them some added depth and some replacements, some bodies. Uh, Aaron Hicks is eligible to come off the concussion disabled list. I don't know if that moves pending. That might be coming today. Another guy who's not on the 40-man roster, but might be worth adding to this lineup right now, given how he's hitting at Rochester, is Chris Parmalee. If those are your two saviors, though, a month and change into the season... Something went wrong in your yeah. offseason planning. I,
1: I'll, t- just back to Judd's question about what are they doing with the roster? I've wondered that too. And it's not like these are make or break moves. All right, you lost Alex Presley. Your franchise is
16: doomed. They lost Brooks Raley yesterday too. By the way, who's and, they, off waivers. and they
1: exposed Chris Parmley to waivers. And mm-hmm. most fans are going to say, "Well, who cares, Chris Parmley?" Okay, but Chris Parmley's like twenty-seven. And so you, when you're exposing outfielders and players who might be borderline major leaguers, but you know maybe there's still something there who are 26, 27, 28 years old for 34-year-old Jason Bartlett, 35-year-old Matt Guerrero, even Jason Kubel, who's off to a good start, so it's really tough to knock that move. It's just, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's almost like they're they're patchworking a little bit recklessly, waiting for the Byron Buxton, Miguel Sano crew to get here next year, without even really giving, like, would you rather have on your roster, for instance, Jason Bartlett or Alex Presley, or Jason Bartlett or Darren Mastriani, or um, Matt Guerrero, or give a guy like... Even East Guerra a shot. The, guy, the guy's been in your system for God knows how many years now, seven or eight. You know Why is Matt Greer getting a shot over somebody else? Are, is there just nobody else in their 20s who's ready to come up and throw a few pitches in the major leagues? I don't know. It's not a make-or-break thing. It's just
2: a head-scratcher.
16: It's a weird roster given where they're at, too, and they're rebuilding. You'd want to take ta- uh, take a chance on talent rather than patchwork.
2: Is there going to be a third catcher at some point because Pinto has to play on a daily basis, I think
16: even if there's not, I think Pinto's got to play almost every day. You got to get so his you, bat you in the, the lineup. You
2: bite the bullet, and worst case, hit the pitcher.
16: I don't know if Ron Gardenhire is going to, but that is what I would do. You want to see 500 at bats for and Pinto? Here's the thing. You know what? If he,
2: does, got... if he doesn't, boys, that's that's. Well, I've got real quick. Yeah, I've got you got breaking, news, yeah. breaking news.
1: Breaking news. Breaking news. Your backup catcher probably isn't going to get hurt. I should say your starting catcher probably isn't going to get hurt. And if he does and you have to move your DH over to catcher for one game, you're fine.
2: But he's it's have not to a, do a big it, deal. But he's going to ha- Suzuki deserves to catch, right? He's a very good catcher, defensive catcher, that's fine. And I have no problem with Pinto DHing, but he's got a DH. We can't he can't become the backup catcher because you don't have a third catcher. Hey, Dave. <laughs>
5: Sorry. Number one, That's, I'm high maintenance
2: with the breaking news I'm
4: thing. Sorry,
1: Dave,
2: Dave's over there, just just like he's trying to reining in good. my high maintenance. <laughs> he's trying. Number one, <laughs> Phil Mackey's a pain in the butt to work with.
16: Yeah, but that, I'll save that one for next week. Though the one this week, the, all this talk about catchers, what really precipitated this shortness is Joe Maurer moving to first base. It's a move that I agree with to keep him in the lineup all the time. Now, of course, he's not in the lineup. But my point on Maurer that I want to get to, and I wrote about yesterday in my column. You can go bash me there for that if you'd like. The angst over Maurer not playing this week is incredibly misguided. I've seen a lot of fans just blowing him up on Twitter. Our colleagues are guilty of this as well. I think it's fair to question Joe Maurer's durability. But I think when you talk about concussions and you talk about an injury like back spasms that personally I know nothing about. Well, Tiger Woods... Tiger Woods is not playing golf because of back spasms. I mean, Tiger Woods had to withdraw from tournaments because of back spasms. So my my point is, I don't know what it's like to play baseball through these injuries. I think it's entirely unfair to criticize him for not being able to go in the lineup. I think the perception is that he's just babying it, that he's milking an injury. And my point is, how the heck can you know that? How, How can you know what his threshold of pain is right now, how much he's suffering, and how able he would be to even play baseball okay here's my problem though it's a back problem DL him
2: sure make a roster move that, that's fine I, my my bigger
16: problem is so blame tw- the twins right, don't but, blame but, joe mauer once
2: again we're talking about a trend here if this was a one-off and mauer and they usually DL'd guys quickly and they didn't with mauer you might say okay it's mauer but this is the trend yeah. Oh, it, it's going to be a couple of days. And then yesterday, Garden High, it's the tip. It's, they always walk us down this path. Yesterday, well, if it's not good by this weekend, we might have to deal. No, it's a back problem. Put him on the DL. And you know what? With Maurer, it is unfair because we know who he is. We know he's going to miss time. It's inevitable now. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Put him on the DL. Make a roster move. You had one bench player yesterday. Yeah, and that's not he a can't major, play. <laughs> and, and, but that's not a major league. That's not major league ready.
16: Yeah. Well, Pedro Florimone was the only guy on the bench yesterday. I don't know what the origin of this lo- kind of long-standing problem now where you think a guy's going to be day or two. I heard uh, Dan Gladden talking on the radio yesterday with you guys about it's just the culture there. I don't know if that's true or if there's just some bad luck misdiagnosing some of these things like Josh Willingham's tiny fracture as well as R.C.'s wrist. I think they genuinely thought these guys were a day, two days, and turned out to be several weeks. Yeah,
1: and with Maurer, I think the reason why they're delaying the DL stint is because they really, whether it's reasonable or not, want him to play like 155 games. Mm-hmm. And if they DL him, they know that he can no longer play
16: 150 games. And so, his bat is so good that if he could play tomorrow, it's absolutely but worth it, it. it.
2: it's a back problem. Once again, I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you two things. If you get hit by a pitch, it's 2014. Get an MRI the next day. Don't wait a week. And if you have a back problem, more than likely... DL the guy. Back problems don't come around in a day or two. Judd's not a doctor, but he did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. <laughs> so I've covered sports good. long enough. I can
1: it out. Phil Mackey. What are you, 6, 11? I'm, I might be 12, yes. Judd Zogad.
8: Who was he trying to trade? Yeah. He was He's the president of the Loose Brothers. He still is.
3: Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN.
0: This portion of Mackie and Judd is brought to you by Comcast Cable. And let me uh, remind you, the all-new fifth season of the Primetime Hit Series, Rookie Blue, begins this summer on ABC. Arm yourself with every episode from the smash hit fourth season with the new Rookie Blue Complete Fourth Season on DVD. You can win the complete fourth season of Rookie Blue, courtesy of Entertainment One. Just head to 1500ESPN.com rewards for your chance to enter and to win.
2: So, Phil Mackey, we have uh, rounds two and three of the draft coming up tonight. And then, of course, the rest of the draft will be um, tomorrow, 6 o'clock, for our coverage here on 1500 ESPN. Vikings now don't have a second-round pick. They have two third-round picks, 72nd and 96th. The 96th pick is the last pick of the third round. It's the Seattle pick that came to them in the Percy Harvin trade. I think some people think the Vikings might try and get back in the second round, but my guess is with only six picks left in the entire draft, Spielman, if anything, might trade one of those third rounders and try and get more picks on Saturday. Well, what do you I think, think? That's how
1: he likes to operate now. What do you think the next objective is? Cornerback. I mean, they've got to get a cornerback, whether it's a third round guy. Although their track record on third round cornerbacks yeah, has been say, atrocious. I was,
2: you know, I would say starting honestly starting in round three. If you're the Vikings. I don't think you draft for need at all. I think you draft best available player. I really do. Now I've never bought into that whole thing of oh we never draft for need in the first or second round. Of course you do. You wouldn't have taken Christian Ponder in the first round. You yeah. tipped your hand right there. But don't you think when you get to round three, you're far better off just saying this is our top rated guy? And because you can never in this league, it's not like it's not like you have enough depth at one position. You say oh we don't need any more depth. No good young players there. I think in round three, if they do not get back in the second round and their first pick is tonight seventy second overall, I think you start looking at who's the best guy. Yeah, who's I, the best I, athlete? I'm torn. If but if
1: if it's if the DB is close to the best, oh, I well think then. you go there. Uh, here's just a, I'm going through Pro Football Reference, the Vikings draft history. Cornerbacks drafted between rounds three and five for the Vikings. This is we not- can include round two, I guess. They don't have a second round draft pick, but let's include round two as well. Starting in 2012, <laughs> Josh Robinson. Robert Blanton. Yeah. Brandon Burton. Mistral Raymond. That's a safety, obviously.
2: Chris Cook. Yep. Oh, God. We'll Asher go- Allen. Third rounder. Go back before then. Third rounder. Oh Marcus McCauley. Marcus McCauley. No, you don't. You he don't was the, get... the training camp master. Yeah. No, you can't force that one. That's what I'm saying. Take the best athlete available. Jess Myers talking wild next. Bill The
1: combination of toughness
3: and productivity. Yeah, he's very good. Judd Zogad. Judd's kind of the Elizabeth Taylor of his day, isn't
8: he? Yes. <laughs> he was uh, great yesterday.
3: Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN.
6: We've given ourselves a chance to, to even this series up and to, you know, to go back to Chicago and hopefully put a little bit of pressure on those guys so we know that, uh, that they recognize the importance of the game and as do we.
2: That's Mike Yo talking about Wild Blackhawks tonight. We've, of course, been draft heavy today talking Vikings, but the Wild and Blackhawks, a pivotal game in the series of the X tonight. And Mike Yo referring to the fact that we are now assured of a Game 5 in Chicago. I saw a tweet from the Wild yesterday, Phil Mackey. It's definitely going to be an evening game. It's not going to be another afternoon start. We don't know face-off time yet Joining the conversation now, a man who's going to have an extremely busy day, Jess Myers, who uh, does a great job covering the wild for us, 1500ESPN.com. So you are up north fishing right now. You're going to get in the car, drive home, and cover tonight's game, correct?
15: I love it. The governor's fishing opener, uh, sitting here in the rain in the lovely Brainerd Lakes area, getting uh, stuff prepared here for my uh, other job, working for Gander Mountain. And then, yeah, I'm up in the car about 5 o'clock. I'll be at the X uh, by the time they sing the national anthem. So... uh a busy day, but, man, what a fun time of year if you're a Minnesota sports fan between the fishing opener and the yep. wild and the playoffs and the draft and everything
2: else. Exactly right. All right, uh, buying or selling, sir, this. Matt Molson has been playing with an injury, and uh, thus was unproductive in the playoffs. Or Matt Molson was informed yesterday that geez, Matt, you don't look so good. And Matt said, coach, I'm fine. What do you mean? And they said, no, Matt, look, man, you're your you're, Something's wrong. And he said, oh, okay. And now he's scratched, and Matt Cook's going to be on the third line tonight.
15: Let me put it this way. I hope he has a lower body injury because that would be uh, the only way to excuse the way he's played in the playoffs so far. I mean, they got this guy purely because he's a goal scorer, and he's done anything but score goals. So – uh I don't want to speculate on whether there's an actual lower body injury going on here. Whatever the case, I think uh, I, I'm surprised that they made this move. You know, if, if there's not an injury, I thought they would keep him in the lineup uh, regardless of what happened, just because he does have that goal scoring potential. But uh, a bit of a shake up, and, and uh, I, I'm surprised. Let's put it that way. Uh,
1: either way, that third line, whether it's Molson or Cook. The main pairing on that line seems to be Fontaine and Howell in this series. And, you know, Judge mentioned how this is just a series because the Blackhawks like to skate open. They like to use their skills. They don't really like to uh, dirty it up too much. And that kind of fits the styles of Howell and Fontaine. Is that what you've noticed too, Jess?
15: I think the Wild are getting falsely accused. And I mentioned this with uh, Pat Royce the other day. You know, Joe Quenville likes to talk about how the Wild dumb things up and they don't really try to score and, and all of that stuff. Look at the block shots in the last game. the The Blackhawks laid down 14 times in block shots in the first two periods of that last game. Uh, they were the ones playing the gum up defensive system just as much as the Wild were. So, uh, you know, I agree the Wild like to play that way, but Chicago played that way the last game as well.
2: Quenville gambled and lost in Game Three, Jess. There's no question about it. The Blackhawks came here, and I said this at the time. We talked about this during the game. First and second periods, which were pretty boring, they they weren't terrible hockey, they were just boring because they were played in the neutral zone, was based on the fact the Blackhawks wanted to come here, and unlike what Colorado did, they didn't want to try and make things exciting. They wanted to bore the crowd in the wild, they wanted to score two or three third period goals and go up 3-0. What happened was, they lost that game, which makes tonight, to me, very interesting 'Cause Quenville is a darn good coach, and I don't see any way he comes out with that same game plan, which means the Wild are going to get the Blackhawks best tonight from the faceoff, which should make tonight's game a lot more fun.
15: Yeah, it was interesting talking to some of the Blackhawks players after game three when, you know, the, the Chicago media is saying to uh to Crawford, for example, uh, you know, do you do you regroup at this point? And he said, you know, I don't know that we need to regroup so much. It's not like this is a team that have been playing bad. They had won six consecutive playoff games coming into that one so you know yeah i think you're absolutely right it's like hey let's try something a little different let's see if we can win this way okay we can't let's go back to what uh, got us here which is the fast skating stuff and and trying to beat you with their speed and we all know they have plenty of that so i do think we're going to see a different approach by chicago tonight
1: is it possible nino niederreiter has been the wild's best player in the playoffs so far
15: I wouldn't call him the best player in spurts. He has been, uh, you know, the key to their offense, especially when you've had some of the, the usual suspects shut down the way they have been. You know, when when you take Parisi out of the mix and you take Koivu out of the mix and you take Tomlinville out of the mix, and we talked about Molson already about, hey, now he just hasn't been part of the offensive picture. You know, if you're going to score goals, they have to come from somewhere. You know, Niederreiter's a guy that was always uh, – Tons of potential when he was with the Islanders, but just didn't really ever do anything. Now he's showing that potential, especially when you pair him the right way on a line where he can move the puck.
5: Okay,
1: did the Islanders for both you guys? Did the Islanders kind of give up on him, or were they that enamored with Cal
2: Clutterbuck?
15: I like think he was 21 years old.
2: Garshno knows yeah, a I, bad GM. I think they
15: gave up on him. Garth... And, and consider the fact that he was in the AHL all of last season yep. and couldn't. You know, I joked about this on Twitter, but man, how could you crack that rock-solid Islanders lineup last right? year? They, they did make the playoffs, <laughs> but. Man, you, you didn't think that they had a glut of goal scorers where they had to send him down to, to Bridgeport or wherever he was uh, for all of last year. I think they had given up on him, and I, I think it's pretty obvious that they did so too early.
2: Hey, Jess, it's no secret. Garth Snow is stealing money. He's a ter- <laughs> he's an awful GM. He's a lousy GM. You know what? Good for Chuck Fletcher. He fleeced him. Good for him. Uh, tell me this. You, uh, you obviously cover the Wild, but you also watch a ton of college hockey, and that sport is a passion of yours? When you watched Eric Halla play for the Gophers time and time again, did you start to come away with the impression that this guy might be this effective a pro player?
15: I thought he would be an effective pro player, but not this quickly. Um, I really thought that he was a guy that was going to need a year or two at the AHL level, getting used to the pro level of speed and the pro level of physical hockey. Now, his speed has translated immediately to the NHL game. And that really surprises me. And we've seen guys you know, burst on the scene with speed before. Uh, Jason Zucker last year comes to mind. But, you know, had a much less complete game to him. Holler is a guy who can read plays and, and, and read the offense a lot better, I think, than, than other guys his age. So I'm not surprised he's being an effective pro player. I'm just surprised that he's doing it, to, you know, a year out of college.
1: Jess Myers covers the Wild for 1500ESPN.com. He's with us here on Mackey & Judd previewing game for Wild Blackhawks tonight. Let's put ourselves in the skates of the Chicago Blackhawks for a second here. So you, you've you got a 2-0 lead in the series. You come into the X and you pretty much get whitewashed, 4 nothing. wild control the game. What should Chicago do? What do you expect them to do to kind of counter here after a couple days off?
15: Well, I like the fact that Quenville's one of these guys that jumbles his lines, you know, three, four times a period, it seems like. We're going to see a, a greatly revamped Chicago lineup, and I mean, this speaks, again, to the depth of the Blackhawks. But anytime you have Marion Hosta on your third line, that just shows you, uh, you know, how deep this team can go and how they can roll so many lines and so many different looks and different weapons at you. So we're going to see a different look to their offense, but make no mistake, it's still an incredibly dangerous team. I mean, as much as they controlled the first two games of the series, they're capable of doing that at any given time.
2: Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. See you tonight at the X. Good to talk to you guys. All All right. See you, Jess. Jess Myers, a very busy day for him up at the uh, governor's fishing opener. Phil is going to drive back and cover a wild Blackhawks for us tonight. We'll both be there at the X. Uh, You can read the coverage, 1500 ESPN.com. And like you said, a lot of good Vikings coverage up at our website, too, including our conversation at 11 o'clock with Rick Spielman. If you missed it, you can uh, go hear that. It's posted right now. Late programming note, boys. Questions out for today. Really? Yes. Do You know why? Chad Greenway is going to join us. Okay, at uh, twelve thirty-five. Look at you over there booking guests on the fly. I want somebody. I, I want him to explain the fact that he's not really going to lose his job. This whole thing is sort of maddening to me because there's just all these assumptions about what this means. The bar pick. I want Chad to explain firsthand because Chad w- was there for the camp last week. He's not really losing his job. It's not really. This is not a threat to Greenway's job. He's actually getting help at linebacker. Should we do? Uh, do you have a couple impromptu
1: questions right now, Dave Harrigan? We've got some time you, you here.
0: You want some questions of significant importance? He's mad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I trumped hang you. On. We I'm need the proper, uh, the proper deal here. Now on Mackie and John.
2: Do you believe in past lives? Did we
11: ever really land on the moon?
2: Questions.
11: On what the are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance.
0: I've got a couple for you. How about this one? Uh, when does Teddy Bridgewater start his first game for the Vikings? This would be barring... Uh, catastrophic injuries to Castle and Ponder. <laughs> when will he actually earn his first
1: start? I love how, real quick, I love how Rick Spielman, the last couple days, has lumped oh. Castle and Ponder in together at every corner. Mm-hmm. No, we're really happy with what we have in Castle and Ponder. We really feel like Castle and Ponder. No. Are you really, just Rick? stop. Are you really? Stop putting them together. We can just talk about Castle. Wow, that's a... There's so, so
2: many, yeah, it's a very significant question. And important. I got an easy answer. Okay, you go first then. I think he starts opening day 2015. <clears throat> I think if everyone stays Aren't healthy. If Castle is, if Castle can play even decent next season, I think part of the problem with Ponder was, and you know what, we all push for him to start. So we're all at fault here. Nobody, when McNabb was as bad as he was, nobody said, oh man, why are you starting Ponder now? But I think given—there's no way the Vikings, that Spielman at least, didn't learn some things from the Ponder mistake. Now, Norv Turner's a, a very different coordinator. We have far more faith. I would say, offensively, you name me the last guy that we had this type of faith in. It certainly wasn't Brad Childress. It wasn't Bevel at the time. It wasn't Musgrave. And Frazier was a defensive guy. I think we are going to have far more trust in how Turner approaches things. And I think they're going to let Bridgewater learn for a season— because if the second you start him next year, I think you put yeah. unnecessary pressure on a guy. For a team that if they don't make the playoffs, no one's going to freak out. I say opening day 2015.
1: I think people are going to be really disappointed if this team doesn't make the playoffs. With the defensive additions, with the new coaching staff, with all the weapons on offense. And this shifts all the pressure over to Matt Castle. To be the good Matt Castle. The 2008-2010 Matt Castle. The Castle we saw at times last year, although you know, we kind of view Castle as being... So much better than Ponder last year. Well, he still had like the twenty sixth quarterback rating, so it wasn't. It's close, you know. Yes, it wasn't uh, like we were watching Drew Brees operate last year. So, what, what what might make this question more difficult to answer is the really tough schedule at the beginning of the year. You're at St. Louis to start the year. That's not a gimme. The Rams are a decent team in a really good division. Patriots, then at Saints. The Falcons are no pushover with Matt Ryan in that offense, and then at Green Bay. So your first five games are really tough. If you stumble out of the gate one and four and Matt Castle's playing really poorly, I wouldn't rule it out early in the year. Teddy Bridgewater coming in sometime early in the year. I think we learned way too
2: much from the Ponder mistake to do that to the poor guy. I think you're right, though. I don't think that's the right thing to do. I don't think, I told you this last night Matt Castle's success or lack thereof cannot be the reason for why Bridgewater plays. Bridgewater has to be on his own program.
1: Well, when you say we learned from the Ponder mistake, Mike Zimmer didn't learn from that mistake because he wasn't the coach.
2: No, but, I think, no, but coach. I think we learned the logical approach. We took the bad approach. We took What we got anxious for, we were wrong to be anxious for it. Now, the problem really starts with the fact that Leslie wanted McNabb. And we saw McNabb the year before in Washington, and I could have told you that he had a better chance of, of being at fast food restaurants on a nightly basis than yeah. being a successful quarterback. So the problem started with who Leslie wanted. Rick wanted Ponder. Leslie said he can't start, I want McNabb. That was all a mistake. But Mike Zimmer, one, let's just assume, and this is a correct assumption, Norv Turner knows far more than any of us. I think if you were to sit Norv Turner down and say, what's the ideal? Privately, so he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to give you the PR type statement. I think he would tell you to wait a year on this guy. But Matt Castle's effectiveness or his ineffectiveness should not have any bearing on when Bridgewater plays. Yeah. If you don't feel Bridgewater is ready and Castle stinks, then whoever your other quarterback is should play. If
1: Castle is average all season, he should always play. Yep. He should just If he's just an average quarterback, he's not going to be great, he should always play. But, we, we can't get too hung up as fans and media saying, well, he's mediocre and this team needs something more than a mediocre quarterback because
2: that's too much pressure on Bridgewater. But in hindsight, the fact that McNabb was terrible shouldn't have been the trigger for Ponder to play. Ponder playing should have been done on the basis of how ready is Christian Ponder, yeah. not how bad is McNabb. I agree with that.
0: Let's make this one quick. Suhan's in the building, chomping at the bit here. If the Wild win Eximited, tonight, huh? yeah. percent chance they win the series. If the Wild oh, wins tonight.
2: This is a hockey question to the hockey whisperer. I'm getting out of here. There's no oh, reason for me to be here. I haven't
1: put much thought into this. This is not a hockey Whisper. This is, a, this is not the hockey Whisper speaking. It's just plain old Phil Mackey, okay? It's just plain old Phil Mackey. Whisper. I'm just spitballing here, okay? Just spitballing, but... If the Wild whisper. wins tonight, Hockey whisper. I'm going to say whisper. that they win it all 100%, 100%. 100%. The headphones just came out of the jack. I'm fine.
2: He can't hear anything. Hockey whisper. Hockey whisper. 100%. I'm going to say if the Wild wins tonight, the chance they win the series is 45%. Because they still don't we'll have 45, huh? Not like 40 or 50? Okay, how about, how about... Forty-eight percent. How about forty-eight I mean, percent? if you look at the statistics. Well, hold on a second. If they hold on, if they win tonight, then it's two-two. You math. go back to Chicago. A back to Minnesota. Math, and back you. to Chicago. Yeah. That means Chicago. Even if the Wild wins tonight, Chicago still maintains home ice, where I think the percentage goes up huge. Is if the Wild can win Game Five. This is why I said to Clayton Stoner yesterday, Game One had to kill you because Game One is a game you steal. Think about this: if they win Game One, right? You take home ice away. You got to steal a game in Chicago. So, forty five percent right now. But I I reserve the right to recall that vote based on what happens uh, Sunday night. You're telling us there's a chance. We'll talk to Suhan next.
3: This is Mackie and Judd on fifteen hundred ESPN.
2: Jim Suhan.
3: Return to the Cardinals to set the school mark for touchdowns twist. in a season. Bridgewater won the 2012 Big East Championship game while playing with a broken wrist. He also has good size at 6'2, 214 pounds.
1: Well, <laughs> let's play the what other one. What was that? On, let's play Anthony Barr.
3: Anthony Barr, outside linebacker, UCLA. A versatile threat. He's played both outside and inside linebacker and as a running back for his first two college seasons. He amassed 23 and a half sacks in two years.
2: Try Jim Suhan, does that not sound like something that you would have heard in about 1984? Well, if, if, they had used that,
14: if they had used that voice last night to introduce their picks, I would have been all in.
2: I mean, he sounds great. Anthony Barr is a heck of a player ah, and a great guy, a great all-around guy, rah, rah, rah. too. Get me rewrite. rewrite.
1: Uh, your overall thoughts on the Vikings' first round.
14: You know, I, I find myself being a complete homer. Because if Team X, if the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Cleveland Browns had spent the ninth pick on Anthony Barr, And had traded back in the first round to Teddy Bridgewater, I probably would have been like, well, that's why you're the Jacksonville Jaguars. You really don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. The reason I give these picks some credence is because Zimmer has a history of spotting and developing good young talent. And Turner has a history of working well with quarterbacks. So, you know, you have to buy into Zimmer and Turner to buy into these picks. And... To date, I have no reason not to buy into Zimmer and Turner as evaluators.
1: You nailed it 100%. If if every step of the way, even before Zimmer got hired for two or three years, everyone around the league was saying, why hasn't this guy gotten a shot Mm -hmm. yet? And so every step of the way, no one has really criticized the hiring of Mike Zimmer. We've all pretty much lauded him for what he's done in Cincinnati. We've all put faith into him, maybe blindly to some degree, but he's got a track record. And uh, he comes from the Bill Parcells tree. And so why is it that we get so caught up collectively in, well, Mel Kuyper's mock draft said Anthony Barr should have been 20th. Well, Mayock had him going 20th if you stripped away all the mock drafts. And he sat down face-to-face with Mike Zimmer two weeks ago and just strip away all of what you think the Scouts Inc. rankings are. And he said, you know what, there's this linebacker from UCLA, Anthony Barr, and if he's there at 8 or 9, we'd love to have him. You'd say, oh, Mike Zimmer told me that there's this Anthony Barr guy that they should take, and you'd be on the bandwagon.
14: It is amazing, and, and especially for somebody who started covering the NFL in 1989, back when the draft was an afterthought. It was something they held on Sunday afternoon that nobody really cared much about. Uh, you know, People were interested in the results. They weren't that interested in the process or the buildup. Mm-hmm. And back then, your quote-unquote draft experts were people everybody made fun of. You know, somebody, some guy in a basement— printing out his own draft sheet and sending it out and then you go talk to the Vikings executives or the Cowboys executives mm-hmm. or your sources around the league and they they'd laugh their heads off about the ratings that these people are compiling. Now those same people get to dictate the entire story. They get to to cement the reputations of players without necessarily correlating their views with those of the real experts, the people who who draft and and you know, here's the thing Real experts make a lot, lots of mistakes, so you know there is room there for them to interject their own opinions. They do what, we, and I don't blame them. They do basically what we do, which is take whatever available experience, whatever available insights you have, and apply them to to uh, their opinions. But
2: we we do pay way too much attention to quote unquote draft experts and mock drafts. The problem with the outrage last night is it wasn't driven. By people who were upset by the pick, it was driven by people that were upset that they d- they didn't take Manziel. Yep. And the issue is, if the Vikings, I guarantee you, if the sun came up today and they had taken Manziel at 9, 80 percent of the people that know anything about football would say, "What the hell were they doing?" Mm-hmm. If the if people if the outrage on Twitter and, and and other places had been, why didn't they take a cornerback? I think that's a good discussion. Mm-hmm. That's a decent discussion. I would have taken a corner. But the outrage was driven by the fact they passed on a guy who would have been good publicity, not necessarily a good quarterback. And so my inclination is to say, all right, whatever, who cares? You're wrong. Yeah, Because I... when he goes 22nd, if he went 10th, okay, maybe I'll have that conversation. He went 22nd. He went 22nd to a team that doesn't have very good track record in,
14: in evaluating quarter. I know it's a new group. Then maybe the new group will be better than the, the old group, but it's Cleveland Browns still. Mm-hmm. Uh, and listen, I'm a Manzel fan because I like entertainment, and he would have been greatly entertained. He would have been a lot of fun. But if you're comparing Manzel and Bridgewater, you know it's kind of a toss-up, isn't it? Isn't it kind of a toss-up? And
1: Rick Spielman basically said last hour. I mean, he didn't flat out say that they were right next to each other, but he said we had two guys in mind. It was Bridgewater and Manzel, and we both had him in the similar vicinity. Yeah, and so, and-, and
14: Bridgewater is taller. Bigger, he's more of a pocket passer. He threw for a higher completion percentage. He's not as much an injury risk running out of the pocket. Uh, you know, I love watching Manziel play. I would have taken him for entertainment value as a football pick. You know, I can't really make a strong argument for Manziel over Bridgewater.
1: I'll, I'll say it again too: the only group of people, the the two groups of people who thought Johnny Manziel was a franchise quarterback to be taken in the top ten, were fans and media. Yeah, fans and media thought he should be taken in the top ten as a franchise quarterback. Maybe in the end the fans and media were right. But to criticize the Vikings, now if, if the Vikings passed on Manziel at 8, let's say the Vikings made their pick at 8, and Cleveland stays at 9, and right after you, you pick, Cleveland takes, them, uh, takes Johnny Manziel at number 9. Then all of a sudden it's, well, okay, other teams see this guy as maybe an RG3 Andrew Luck willing to be uh, put yourself out there for, for a top-10 draft pick. Nobody thought that. The, t- the most quarterback-starved teams in the league – didn't think he was worthy of a top 10 or top 15 pick.
14: Absolutely. And, and I'm, you know, I also go back to watching Bridgewater play last year, which is the most important thing. How are you playing games? Right. And I loved him. You know, I loved him. And uh, yeah, I was a little dismayed when he couldn't complete passes during a pro day when everything's set up for you to look great. Yeah. That was dismaying. And, but, and, and I don't, I hate to admit that I buy in too much to any team's uh, narrative that they put that out there right after the draft, but. It makes sense to me that if the Vikings work him out privately and he looks great again and he responds to Turner's coaching, that they're going to be intrigued
2: with him. Now the bar pick, the most maddening thing to me, and I've heard this from about four people, is Mike Zimmer has never had a player like this. And I don't know if the underlying meaning is that Spielman is forcing Barr on his coach, which he's not or what, but I told Phil this. Mike Zimmer is a as far as we know, a very good defensive coordinator. But in Cincinnati, he worked for Marvin Lewis, Mm -hmm. who was a very good defensive coordinator. And Mike Zimmer never would have had the opportunity. He could have told Marvin Lewis, I want to do this and that. But if Mike Zimmer said, hey, Marvin, here's the deal. I'm running my defense, get lost. He's going to get fired. So there is a chance that Mike Zimmer has some ideas that he's never used, which, by the way, if this is the case, could be really valuable. So Mike Zimmer might have wanted a guy like Anthony Barr and Marvin Lewis said, you know, i got to draw the line here or there. That's happened before. So I would think the fact that Mike Zimmer has not had an athlete like this before should actually be perceived as a positive, meaning he's going to do different things on defense than we or other teams expect. You know, I do have concerns about Barr.
14: <clears throat> One of my concerns is that he seemed to be a very good player when he had, a, an open, when he had open space. He didn't seem to be very effective when he had to get around a blocker. or when he had to deal with somebody with size or with athletic ability. He didn't seem like the toughest player. If you look back at clips of him and if you read all the reviews of him, that, that is a concern when you're picking number 9, that, that a guy has not necessarily stood up. He's a linebacker, and he hasn't really stood up all that well to the run. You know, um, So I, I'm not completely sold on the pick. Mm-hmm. I'm just giving Zimmer the benefit of the doubt for the moment.
1: And if you go back to, let's say we were to set this whole scenario up in December or January— So maybe you've got a bowl game to go, but pretty much all these guys' college careers are over. And if you would have said in January or December, the Vikings are going to pick a linebacker, a highly touted linebacker at number 9, and then they're going to get Teddy Bridgewater later in the first round. Most people at the time would have said, where do I sign up? That sounds like a great first round for the Vikings.
14: Absolutely. I would have taken it. And, and you know, there are a lot of things to like about Bridgewater. Uh, size, accuracy, his ability, you know, if you read the scouts, his ability to move safeties with his eyes, which is a very developed skill. There's mm-hmm. a lot of college quarterbacks can't do that or don't even try. Favre was the genius yeah, of that. His Best ab- I've ever seen. Yeah, his ability to make multiple reads, uh, accuracy. Uh, he doesn't have the biggest arm. That doesn't really concern me. I've seen a lot of quarterbacks with big arms absolutely fail. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really intrigued by the Bridgewater pick. Yep. I'm, I'm glad they have him, frankly. Sometimes it's be fun. Sometimes Favre
1: would move safety so much with his eyes that he moved them into interception <laughs> territory. Oh, yeah. Stop Whoops, that's my that. bad. Stop with that.
2: <laughs> uh, game three, the Blackhawks uh, play the wild at the X, and I'm convinced the Blackhawks had the rope-a-dope theory going. It didn't work out for them. Mm-hmm. My guess tonight is the Wild is going to get the Blackhawks' best shot. What do you think? I I I agree completely. I
14: felt like all through this series, the Blackhawks have been, and really all through last year's series, Blackhawks felt like they were a superior team. Felt like they were going to avoid mistakes. They were going to let kind of wait for the Wild to make a mistake and then use their superior skill to capitalize. And it didn't work out because the Wild just blitzed them in the third period. I I felt like the Blackhawks were just like, okay, we're going to let you screw up, right? And it didn't it didn't work. I think the Blackhawks. Now, are saying we want to win Game Four, we want to finish it in Game Five, mm-hmm. we want to be rested. Our mm-hmm. goal is to win the Stanley Cup. So tonight, I think will be the best effort the Wild will have seen from the Blackhawks in this series. Uh, you know, the wild have to counter that with the fact that they've been really good at home during this playoffs. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right, was... Jim,
1: uh you're filling in for the mayor today.
14: I am. I'll be on one to four doing three to four with Roycey. All right. If, there he'll, it is. if he'll talk to me. I'll...
1: We'll see. Oh, I'm sure. I'm three he has opinions today. Uh Jim They're Suhan. Twins
2: related. He's very upset. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Chad Greenway. Coming yes. up next on Mackey and Judd. Phil Mackie, Judd Zogad. That's a bit disturbing.
3: <laughs> oh no, very disturbing. I love it. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN.
5: still learning all, a lot of different things and we'll be able to teach him a lot um, you know with, with all these players we try to have a vision when, when we pick them of what we're, what we're looking for and how we can use them in different ways and how we can use them to our advantage to put stress on the offense and, um, and, and he was one of the more unique guys that we had in the draft here
2: that oh, was new Vikings coach Mike Zimmer last night at Winter Park after the Vikings used their uh, ninth pick overall on Anthony Barr, linebacker from UCLA. He will be joining this man on the defense this season, Chad Greenway, Vikings linebacker, kind enough to join us now. And Chad, I wanted to get you on for a couple purposes. Uh, I think there is a, uh, a perception today uh, that Anthony Barr is going to join a Vikings defense that's going to resemble the Tampa 2, which you played in since 2006. Can you clear this up? After going through the uh, camp last week, this defense is going to be entirely different than what people have seen since 2006, correct?
10: Yeah, it definitely will. I mean, on paper, uh, when you draw it up, it'll look similar. I mean, as far as where guys are lined up, you know, the positions the guys are playing because it is at its base a 4-3. But um, that doesn't mean that what we're doing and the plays that are called and the defenses that we're running – are going to look the same, and the, the guys' roles are going to be the same. You know, it's going to be—they they want to create some flexibility, it seems like, within positions, and of course, just get guys who are who have ability who can help us win. And uh, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about.
2: And Chad, uh, last night when the pick was announced, uh, it came out he's a strong side linebacker, and the immediate reaction was that's Greenway spot. Uh, explain, explain this in the simplest terms possible. I remember when I covered you as uh, w- when you arrived originally you were listed and are called a weak side linebacker. And then Les got here and said, no, in the Tampa 2, actually the weak side is the strong side. Uh, (laughs) Explain explain the difference. And also, if I'm not incorrect here, you you are actually in what Mike is going to run more of or as much a weak side guy as a strong side guy. Is that accurate?
10: Well, when I first came in in 2006 under Tomlin, it was my position I played, which is behind the three technique. Um, which is the, which is the defensive lineman who plays on the guard, um, in over defense, which is typically what we will play for a front, you know, we call that the, the will when Leslie came in and took over, we then called it the Sam. And now as we come back in now it is now the will again. <laughs> so, um, we, I had technically in the base defense right now in playing the will linebacker position and, um, you know what my estimation and what you know Coach Zimmer kind of mentioned last night is, is it looking uh, for Anthony to play the Sam, um, which is a little bit more for his you know type of body and uh, the type of stuff he can do, um, you know within the scheme that, that Zimmer's running. So that's sort of layman's terms. The naming is just all screwed up, but um, we're we'll sort of play opposite opposite
1: sides. So now obviously you guys have off-season workouts and training camp and some installations and whatnot. So. It, we might not even know. You might not even know what this defense fully looks like with the personnel. But if Mike Zimmer's defense, as you kind of know it right now, is implemented successfully, what will it do to offenses?
10: Well, you know, the biggest thing is is you need to keep offenses sort of off their spot, which means, you know, first and second down, make them get into long yardage situations, you know, and then create havoc on third down. I mean, you know, I think anybody that sort of followed this process, once we got Coach Zimmer in here, everybody you know is, is hyping up and talking about the blitz schemes and the aggressive nature of the defense and you know you don't really get to that until you get to that third down you know he does obviously do some of that in first and second down as you can see on tape um but you know he wants to like I said create flexibility with his position players that can allow him to get creative you know we don't have to sit in just a shell of, of a 4-3 or a 3-4 you can really move guys and sort of and have some flexibility with positions that can they can do different things, and then you can come from all sorts of different angles. And you know, I think the best part is is you just coach to the strengths of your players, and that's and that's what seems to be like Coach Zimmer and Coach Norv Turner's philosophies. Is you know, what kind of guys do we have? What can they do well? Let's put them in those positions. Yeah.
1: So let's just say that that Anthony Barr does pan out and he becomes a, a very serviceable linebacker. You got the addition of a captain Munnerlyn, obviously Linval Joseph. So specifically, Captain Munnerlyn, and then. Uh, a linebacker like an Anthony Barr, how do those two guys help you specifically?
10: Uh, help me specifically. Obviously, I think with Captain, you know, in, in the sub defense, you know, he's, he's been so good at that nickel position, you know, sort of what we used to see Antoine Winfield be that aggressive style, really good tackler, but also has great, you know, adeptness and coverage. And and it seems to be he's got a knack for taking the ball back to the end zone, which really is great. Um, but, you know, having a veteran like that um, is just certainly going to help. People get lined up, knowledge of the defense, and then of course the experience of game day um, goes a long ways. Um, you know, the big man we signed, Lindvall, up front. You know, that's gonna, that's going to be able to create a, a lot of scenarios where we can run downhill and play freely and run and uh, run defense. And then obviously, um, with the addition of of Anthony Barr, it appears like his his ability to rush the passer um, is just going to be added on to other guys who have obviously have that uh, great ability as well and and then it's not like i said before just be able to come from different platforms and angles and, and will allow the coaches to do what they do well
2: so for uh for Bar uh coming in here what are going to what are going to be as you make that step or as he makes that step from college to pros chad what are going to be some of the biggest challenges to playing his position and being good overall in this league do you think
8: well, you know, I think, you know, just
10: from an experience standpoint, he hasn't played a ton of linebacker. knowing his position changed and what he's done, I mean, just getting comfortable, and then, first of all, learning the scheme, and, and learning his role, and what he wanted, and what they wanted to do. Then also, just get great with the technique, and what he's going to be taught, you know. Um, it seems like he's a, a guy, you know, just from what I know, in the very um, infancy of him being here, um, very coachable, good kid, who's going to come in and work hard, and, and really, as a rookie, that's all you can ask, and that's all you can really do, is come in, keep your mouth shut, and work, and and uh and then earn the respect of all your teammates by just what you do on the field and what you do in the classroom and, and he seems like the type of guy who's going to be willing and able to do that and we certainly
1: hope so it's vikings linebacker chad greenway with us here on mackie and Joe. what are your first impressions of mike zimmer
10: well i've been I've certainly been impressed you know it's 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 a little weird for me you know being being in one spot for so long to have a, a whole shift in in uh mentality he'll shift and uh, you know change in really everything um for the first time and uh it's been really good you know, I think guys have been really receptive to it and uh you know we responded obviously it's early on we've just gone through the one mini camp. but you can tell you, know, you can tell his attitude change, there's a shift in the way he coaches compared to what we've been used to and and uh and you know change can be good you just have to you can just be a little rough early on and once you get rolling and get into it you know, it can be really good for you and uh, you just try to be open to everything that, that they're asking you to do and and just uh, try to get as good as you can at it, you know, before you go into camp and get rolling.
2: What's that like to go from less? And, you know, Les didn't swear. Less was, I wouldn't say he was quiet. He could be fiery, Chad. But uh, to go from less to a guy like Mike, who sounds like he demands a lot each and every practice.
10: Well, I just think that it's a different approach. Obviously, we all know that different coaching styles can be successful when putting the right facets. And I think in. In this case, it's just a, it's just a change. This is not necessarily in in ability of coaching, but just the attitude and how you're going to go about your business. And and uh, you know, Mike's the kind of guy's going to get your attention, keep your attention, and and make you a little bit nervous to want to push you more. And and I think that's good. You know, as a professional, you know, there's only so many people can do this job. You want to be able to be pushed constantly to make yourself as good as you possibly can be in the short time that you can play. And mm-hmm. for me, um, I feel like it's a great uh, opportunity for me to, to continue to push and get a lot better. Uh, the body's feeling good and ready to go, and, and I think it's going to be a fun year.
2: So as you watched the draft unfold last night, is there any part of you, either as a football fan, saying to yourself, Johnny Manziel would be fun to play with, or are you thinking to yourself, if my team takes him, this is going to be a locker room cluster bleep.
10: <laughs> well, seriously, you know, after going through, you know, we've been around long enough together to to see all the things that we've gone through with far <laughs> fiasco and and with bringing Donovan in and and you know the types of attention the that can bring to the organization. Um, it seems like Johnny's uh is that kind of a kid um you know and and it's good if he's a great player and you're going to buy into what you're doing that's awesome but you have to know what's going to come with that and that is you know a lot a ton of media attention and uh, that's not always a positive thing
1: you know the vikings rarely pass on an opportunity to bring a circus in whether it's bring randy <laughs> moss back i mean it really this is this is it's a it's a step in the recovery process here i think
10: <laughs> yeah you're telling me uh, <laughs> yeah i've seen a few interesting things in my time but uh you know it's uh, you know i think yeah, I think they did a good job and we're moving forward and, and obviously another opportunity in the next couple of days to get some more players that can help us win.
2: You've definitely got a book right at some point in time when your playing career is done, oh, Chad Greenway. If you don't write a book, I'll be very disappointed when what you is, as a player uh, went through uh, the roof collapsing in two thousand ten right there is your first <laughs> chapter
10: we'll just uh We'll see how my career ends and see how, how, how the book is going to read, but um, it'll be interesting to see.
2: What What, did we, uh, what do you think uh, we all potentially learned from, uh, from Christian Ponder 2011? McNabb struggles and Ponder is put in, and that didn't work. When it comes to the new guy now, Bridge, Bridgewater coming in here, what do you think we've learned or know about bringing a quarterback along and not allowing the struggles of a veteran quarterback to impact that, but actually allowing that player – that young guy to develop.
10: Well, you know, obviously, you know, it's that's a decision that's made by our coaching staff and our organization. But I ultimately think that you know having Matt in with his experience and you know the ups and downs of a season. You know, as we all know, no matter how good or bad you are, there's a lot of ups and downs. And I think having consistency at a position, especially quarterback, is important. And um, you know, knowing that we have Matt. In place and ready to go, and learning the scene scheme from from start to finish. Um, you'd like to think that's going to be the approach of of letting him go um, until Teddy's prepared and ready to go. If that's if that's what they have in mind. So, uh, but you don't draft a quarterback in the first round to make him sit there too long. So, I mean, you know, he'll be prepared. Um, you know, when he, when he's ready, he's ready, and I'm sure our coaching staff will do a good job of getting him ready. And when he's ready to go, they'll put him in.
2: Thank you, Chad. Appreciate right. the time. Thanks, Chad. All right, sounds good, guys. All Talk right, take care. Bye. Chad Greenway Vikings linebackers, all right, so he is in this system the weak side linebacker yeah did you did you catch all that by the way? I was but trying to was, write it
1: down, and I wound up just I wound up drawing uh, what looks like a dog essentially
2: essentially, what he was telling us is even in the Tampa two scheme, from Tomlin to Frazier, they changed the terminology of what the linebacker plays, so he was the weak side linebacker in the Tomlin Tampa two. Leslie reverses that, so he's the strong side linebacker, but the key thing that doesn't matter what matters now is that when Anthony Barr was taken last night and people said he's a strong side linebacker, the immediate reaction of, oh my God, Greenway just lost his job and he's going to have to move, is not accurate. In this defense under Zimmer, whether Barr was here or not, Greenway's going to be listed again as a weak side linebacker, so there was no strong side linebacker. Got that? So, so Barr uh, is taking could you over... repeat the part about the things? Barr and the... is taking over a position that was not filled on the depth chart. Other than by a backup linebacker from last season, I thought
1: one of the interesting things that's he said really what too. I wanted it makes sense, kind of. I, I think one I'm of the deep, interesting things he said that. though was, we don't. Th- this defense isn't just a sit back in a base formation defense, yeah. which that's not always what they were doing under Leslie Frazier, but it was. A, it, it felt like the Tampa two defense and any derivatives of it. We're a lot more rigid in terms of this is your job, this is your job. You can deviate a little bit from it, but if you deviate, now you're hanging your teammates out to dry. It sounds like this is a much more, maybe the word is customizable defense to the opponent you're playing.
2: Go back and watch some of the Bengals games from the last couple of years, and what you'll see is the amount of down linemen changed all the time. It's a base 4-3. Okay, the Vikings under Frazier ran a Tampa 2, and even under that, they had they didn't always run the Tampa 2. Yeah. At, at times, they played man. but And they had different packages, too. There were times, if you go back and look, where they had three down linemen. And I think there were even times when they had two down, although I'm not sure that happened that much. What Zimmer's going to do is he's going to change it up even more. And so we can call this a 4-3 all we want. But when we get, the problem we run into then is we get hung up in the Anthony Barr discussion of, well, he'd be better served in a 3-4. They're going to play some 3-4 for him. They're not going to make him an every-down linebacker and say, well, it's not working out. They're going to be smart enough to put him in a position to succeed. That means they're going to play some variations 4-3, 3-4. But what I was trying to get from Chad was we need to understand that until we see this defense, we can't judge Anthony Barr.
1: Actually, that's a whole other conversation for next week is we might have a coach on our hands here that decided, I really like this player, and I'm going to mold the scheme to my personnel.
2: What a novel concept. And keep in mind, it's easier to do that on defense than offense. Uh, Daily Rex coming up next. You're
3: listening to Mackie and Judd
2: on 1500 ESPN.
3: Suggestions, ideas, hints, free advice. Daily
5: recommendations.
3: It's time for daily recommendations from Mackie and Judd. Daily recommendations. And this portion of Mackie and Judd is brought to you by
0: Fratelloni's Ace Hardware and Garden Store's proud supporter of the beer show.
5: Hey, Mike Zimmer, what about Anthony Barr's size? When you watch him on tape... He looks almost slender at times, but this guy—we brought him in on the top 30 visit um, to meet with him, and he is—he is a full-grown man. Uh, He's got great size. He's got great athletic ability. He's very, very intelligent. He's a he's a very good person. Uh, he's the kind of guy that we we want to continue to bring into uh, the Vikings organization.
1: Uh, my my first recommendation is I recommend we let this play out. I recommend anyone who's upset that the Vikings quote unquote reached for Anthony Barr, which wasn't the case. If you look, even if you do put stock into the Mel Kiper, Todd McShay mock drafts, not to disrespect those guys. Those guys do a great job breaking down all the draft profiles. I don't mean to make this about disrespecting those guys, but. If your opinion on last night's draft is based on what you saw in media mock drafts, that shouldn't be valid. These coaches, we had faith 100%, maybe in some ways blind faith in Mike Zimmer until last night. And if a mock draft from a media member changes that faith, then I think you're probably doing it wrong. So I trust the eyes of Mike Zimmer more than I trust the eyes of media members making mock drafts.
2: My recommendation my recommendation is this, no matter what you see from Johnny Manziel in his first year starting, whether that be this coming season, which it probably will be given the pressure to start him, put no stock in it until he's been starting for three years because I think he is going to get his block knocked off, and one good year does not make that a good pick. Johnny Manziel, even if he does everything perfectly, is not going to stay healthy. He is not, mark it down right now, he's not going to stay healthy, so he has to give me three, before I ever say, that the Vikings and everybody else whiffed by not taking him. He's got to give me three healthy, good seasons. My daily rec is don't pass judgment on Manziel after one game, eight games, 16 games. It's got to be about three seasons of healthy starting, and then if he's really good, I'll say I and everybody else made a mistake.
1: And I will recommend that we just sort of trust Rick Spielman, because outside of Christian Ponder, here are his first-round draft picks since 2007, since he became in charge of the draft process. Harrison Smith. Cordero Patterson, Matt Khalil, Adrian Peterson, Percy Harvin, Xavier Rhodes, Sharif Floyd. And now, Sharif Floyd, we don't know yet. I think I think Xavier Rhodes, it's safe to say he was a productive player last year yeah, and, and has a bright lot. future. He's got to stay healthy. I mean, but yeah, I mean, Christian Ponder was a whiff, but
2: everyone else has been a hit for Rick Spielman in the first round. Last recommendation, if you're mad at Rick Spielman today, that anger has to go towards Mike Zimmer, too. The Anthony Barr pick is on Mike Zimmer. If you're mad at Rick Spielman, then you have to go after the head coach of the Vikings, and so far I've seen nobody do that. So if you want to do that, that's fine, but gut up and go after Zimmer as well. That was not just Rick Spielman's decision. That was Mike Zimmer's decision. Monday, recapping
1: a couple wild games, recapping a few more rounds of the NFL draft. Be safe out there. Good talk. Hi,
4: this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at Bit Online as well. And don't forget, Bit Online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bit Online, where the game starts.